Hello and welcome to Game and Watch with Aaron and James, the podcast where we talk about games we've been gaming and movies and TV shows we have been watching. Um, I am Aaron. And I'm James. And today, uh, this is our first part two episode. Uh, we are going to continue our series on Bloodborne. This will be the final episode. Uh, in the first episode, if we recall, we talked about uh, generalities, we talked about gameplay mechanics, we talked about themes, uh, and touched a little bit on character. Um, and in part two, we're going to get to the story, uh, game characters much more specifically, lore much more specifically. We're going to get to the game areas, the bosses, and kind of just round out the rest of the game. Would you say that's fair? Yes. And we are joined again by my brother, Tom. Uh, Tom, thank you for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me once again. I find you to be essential to the conversation we're going to have. Uh, as I mentioned last episode, Tom uh, or Aaron called Tom a bloodborne scholar, which I think is very accurate and also an appropriate term to use uh, compared to um, some of the things that happen in this game. Also, if you're a college student, talk to your advisor and create your own interdepartmental studies major that is Bloodborne Scholar. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, we are going to get really into it this episode. We're going to do our best to not get too deep into the weeds because we understand that, you know, this, this, this is a very deep lore. Yeah, and we wanted to try to touch on everything without being overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, so we'll let's do a couple disclaimers. Um, the first disclaimer is that we are going to make lore suppositions, lore claims, uh, things like that. They're going to be based on uh, evidence, based on lore notes, based on things that happen in the game. Uh, but we're, we just simply don't have time to cite everything or would be here all day. Um, the other thing as well um, is, you know, a lot of these lore things don't necessarily have definitive answers. Um, so we're just going to move through them and we're not going to stop for every point and say like, well, gosh, there's a lot of interpretations and, you know, this could mean many things because that's going to be a lot of things. So uh, with those out of the way, uh, where should we start? Well, let's set the stage. Um, I, we're, again, we're going to try to give some as much background as we can as to kind of what the game is, like who you are and the world that you're about to inhabit and visit. And some of like the, the key players behind kind of what's going on in this world that you're exploring. And then we're going to get kind of go area by area, kind of follow the story in that way and talk about those areas like, you know, lore significance. We'll reference things we kind of set forth earlier in the episode. Um, we'll get into bosses um, and then we'll get into the DLC, which is spicy. Best DLC of any game, which I think we said last week. We did. Yeah. So I guess, who are you? Who are who are we playing as? A little unclear. I mean, you're someone who is come to. Is it? I mean, you, you've come to Yarnum to seek healing. Is that right? Well, it's unclear, right? You're yeah. looking for something called pale blood. Um, but I've heard, yeah, I've heard that you come to find healing, but also there's a theory that you have come to respond from a summons from Castle Canehurst, because that's later where you find the summons. So did you bring it? Um, did you come both to cure the disease and go to Canehurst? Did you come to go to Canehurst to cure the disease, but somehow wound up in Yarnum? Um, it's, it's really unclear. What do you guys think? I, I kind of always just imagined as you are. You are a, a, a soul uh, in need of healing uh, and you get a little in over your head. 
Yeah, I, uh, I now that the Kanehurst theory has entered my mind, I don't think it's coincidence that the Kanehurst summons is in the room you wake up. Uh, there is a change with Yosefka's, so maybe one of them found the invitation on you and the other didn't. Um, but I think it's a very interesting idea that perhaps you came here in the first place to go to Kanehurst. Uh, why you would know about it is an interesting question. Um, and maybe you are seeking their blood techniques or you want to become like them. Um, that's kind of a theory that I think is very interesting. Yeah. So you start in Yarnum. Tom, can you tell us a little bit about Yarnum? Yeah, absolutely. Yarnum is the um, main setting of the game, arguably. Um, it's this, you know, great, grandiose uh, Victorian, uh, uh, you know, style city, as we kind of spoke about in the last episode. And, you know, all even all the peripheral areas that you visit in the game are all are all sort of tied to Yarnum. Um, so Yarnum was this uh, great city. It's um it is at the time that you uh, appear in the city, it's run by this, um, uh, I'll say, authoritative body called the Healing Church. Um, and they are essentially, they are the um, one-stop shop for all methods of blood ministration. So, um, you know, if we go with the theory that your character is here to be healed, um, ultimately, it, it was the blood ministration that, that, you're, that you're seeking. Um, so you come to this uh, yarn, which has this reputation for being this, um, you know, this the city of, yeah, salvation almost, or, or healing from, from blood ministration. And what better place to go to than the healing church? Yeah. Yeah, I this might be my own imagination, but I don't think so. I think there's an item description somewhere that mentions the ports of Yarnum. Um, and thinking about this city, it must have a port. Like, there's no way it doesn't. Um, a city this big, and considering all of the, the lack of paths out of the city or the lack of any main thoroughfares, um, also, I think that this was a reference to the idea that um, plagues frequently uh, got to cities because of ports. Um, I think it's very weird uh, that there's no port area, even though like I'm 99% sure it's mentioned. Um, and we do get something like a port connected to Yarnum in the DLC. And therefore, we know that Yarnum is by the ocean, um, but it's not really... Uh, as large as it should be. And I think the more you think about Yarnum, the less sense it makes as a functioning city. And uh, we're going to talk about it, but I have a theory that none of this is real, that Yarnum isn't real. Um, but other theories say that it's a real place. Yeah, other theories would suggest that throughout the game, you are inhabiting real places that have kind of been ravaged by the consequences of different bodies um, all generally kind of stemming from the same core body, but different kind of groups of, of people seeking greater knowledge and understanding and, and power. And then you are also inhabiting sort of other dimensional worlds that kind of refer to as dreams or nightmares that, re that may or may not represent, have like a corresponding real place in like, you know, it may be Yarnum adjacent um, that they, that they are representative of. It's all very, what's the word? Uh, ambiguous. We're yeah, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's inconclusive as we, as we said it would be. I think there's equally, like anytime you get dreams involved, I think there's very clear evidence towards, you know, these are real and that's a certain path you could take. But also I, you, you could easily also believe that this is just all a dream. Um, yes. That's, I would say that's a valid interpretation as well. Yes. So you have entered Yarnum during what is called a hunt. It is a time where there is this beast scourge that has ravaged the city uh, as a result of the healing church's use of old blood. 
and hunters have been sent out to essentially clean up. And we get the sense uh, later on that this has been going on for quite some time. I think maybe now, even though I don't, I think we have it set for later. We might want to lay out now who the healing church is and where they come from, because I think everything stems from that and, and, and the different groups and what their research is and what, what they all, what everyone wants. Yeah. So um, the healing church and Tom, please uh, stop me and correct me or add details where I forget them. Um, but essentially, there was an ancient civilization um, under Yarnum, or at least nearby under Yarnum, um, called Thumeria. And these beings, yeah, and it's not clear, they're underground now. We don't know if they were always underground. We don't know if uh, part of it was built above ground and then later, you know, became underground, like ancient Roman cities or things like that. But uh, it is currently underground. They also connected, importantly, with the old ones, these great, powerful cosmic beings. Um, we don't know how exactly. We just know that they connected with them. Um, and as a, uh, as a result of these interactions, uh, they changed. Uh, the Thumerians are not ordinary humans. Um, they're tall, they're pale, they're really, really strong. Um, also, there is reference of a beast plague in Thumeria, um, especially in the Lauren chalices. So I guess the beast plague happened here in the past. Is this where the beast plague is from? Did the beast plague come from somewhere else and infect here? Why did the beast plague go dormant um, and wait until Yarnum? Did they discover it in Thumeria? Again, just questions, questions, questions. Um, but the deeper into Thumeria you go, um, you know, as you're exploring it long, long, long after the fact, you know, in the game of Bloodborne after Thumeria has collapsed, um, you see influence from great ones. The deeper you go, the walls and kind of uh, the imagery get more and more surreal. Um, and essentially, they the Thumerians were able to use the great one's blood um, to do something. Maybe that's what changed them. Maybe they healed themselves from a disease. Uh, but regardless, the practice was discovered by Yarnabites who started the healing church. Um, the Thumerians by this point are more or less extinct uh, with a few exceptions. Um, and the Yarnabites use the, the Great One's blood or the power of blood ministration to kind of heal, um, focus on healing. And we don't even know from what, healing from what, healing from the plague, healing from diseases. They just say healing, healing psychologically, healing spiritually. Um, we get the impression that it is physical, but again, uh, it's not made clear. And I guess, you know, as we talk about kind of the healing church and where they came from, we will be making, and as we already have reference to the great ones, Tom, can you tell us a little about a bit who the great ones are? And then if you don't mind kind of maybe get into a little bit as to where the healing church comes from and why they were seeking the great ones. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And um, yeah, so I think it's it's you know good we we talked about Tamaria or, or Tamaria before. Um, because I think that gives you a very local explanation of the city of Yarnum. But as you mentioned, the great, yeah, the great old ones are pretty much the 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 crux of Bloodborne a, as a game. Um, obviously very influenced by by Lovecraft's work. So the great old ones, as they're called in Bloodborne, and, and I think we might have talked about this in the last episode, but uh, very similar to to Lovecraft's idea of these these great old uh, beings, uh, you know, celestial entities that are beyond human comprehension. You know, they they're like they exist in in all space, time, every dimension you can think of. You know, super powerful powerful beings. And at least in Bloodborne, and I think this is also the case in Lovecraft, 
the, the the great old ones love to meddle might be one word, but basically interact with humans. I disagree, actually. I think that the great ones want nothing to do with us and are very kind of detached from us. I think it's the humans that are kind of poking them. Um, oh, like they're ret- they're retaliating. Yeah, not even because... retaliating, just like, oh, you. Um, and then kind of just having their fun with their weird fucked up things. But I don't, at least I don't imagine the great ones. And I don't really think Lovecraft does either. Like the great ones are kind of their own thing. And humans are so below their notice. Like, I don't think they play with humans. I think humans are just so beneath them that only when humans kind of provoke them do they kind yeah. of that, Yeah, that's certainly the case, the case in Lovecraft. I think in Bloodborne, there is evidence that that they great ones do have something to gain um, to, some, to some extent. Why it is that they want to do, you know, the things that they do is, is another thing entirely, I suppose. But I think they do, they, there is something that they want uh, to some extent from humans, or at least some of them. Some of the old ones want something from humans, but um, without dwelling too much on that point. Yeah. So, or, or, or maybe we can discuss it later, but the, the great ones essentially are, yeah. So they're, they're these, these, you know, cosmic beings, as we discussed, what's important to, I think, talk about in addition to Tumeria is where the healing church comes from. Um, so Yarnum obviously stems from the Tumerian uh, civilization, but uh, the healing church, it, it gets its roots in um, the college of Bergenworth, which the players introduced to um, about halfway through the game. What uh? What's what do you? What's the SAT and ACT scores to get in Bergenworth? Do you know? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. I was not admitted, so I wouldn't. Oh, know. Okay. Um, you know, you have, have you, a lot of eyes for for people <laughs> you who are have so many eyes. <laughs> yeah. For people who are really smart, they're pretty pretty stupid. That's um, yeah, that's true. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Continue. Uh, yeah, no worries. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so basically, the College of Bergenworth um is this place for academia, and it's and it's run by this this man named master willem or he's also been referred to as provost or provost willem you know suggesting that he is sort of the academic leader of this of this college and their goal is to help help humans ascend help humans evolve um you know so and and of course it stems from the great ones so so with the you know with the um the the poking around uh as you said aaron you know into the great ones and, and trying to understand these things that you know i think the curiosity leads them to realize that humans are are very yeah insignificant right and and um and you know and and beastly i guess you could even argue um relative to you know these great ones and the college of bergenworth are are essentially you know in in the in the realm of in the scope of the game right sumerians in the past but in the scope of the game the college of bergenworth is the first group to, to realize that and they essentially take two different routes as to how humans can evolve and that's i think that's a very important aspect of the game um because that essentially divvies up the two kind of like schools of thought almost um so the first the first method of of evolution um is through what we know as insight right or knowledge uh of this eldritch truth and that's what master willem's uh main goal was to understand was um you know we need more eyes we need more insight we need to gain more understanding of the great ones and that's how we will evolve um you know past our you know our, our beastly human nature the other school of thought, which was led by arguably his best student, um, Lawrence, was evolution by blood. And that's based on the, the, this old blood of the great ones that they come in contact with um, in, in the catacombs of Yarnum or, or um, uh, you know, basically the, what they found from, like the, from the remnants of Tumeria is, yes. is what the game suggests. So those are basically the two, the two schools of thought is evolution by, by knowledge and evolution by blood. Um, and that schism is very present in the game. Oh yeah. And yeah. And, and you can see sort of the two different paths that 
um, that Bergenworth goes down. Um, I think it's also significant that Bergenworth is very uh, almost as disconnected as any location can be from Yarnum. Um, it almost feels like they knew they had to kind of go away uh, in the woods by themselves to even kind of dabble in this stuff. Um, I think the college also contrasts well with the choir and with the church who feel very comfortable doing all this stuff right in the middle of the city with a bunch of people around. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. And so Lawrence you know, as Tom mentioned, kind of broke off and formed the healing church. He really believed in embracing the beast curse and the old blood is the way to transcend as Tom, as Tom mentioned, yeah. much less interested in eyes and insight, which is interesting though, because eventually the healing church kind of a sub faction of the healing church ended up becoming very interested in insight. So this difference in opinion between Lawrence and, and Willem, you know, caused them to have a falling out. Willem viewed that as betrayal and kind of Lawrence went off and did his own thing. I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, that Lawrence eventually did succumb to the beast scourge himself and became yes. the first cleric beast. Yes. Correct. And that's why his skull is kind of the central worship point for uh, the church where you fight the vicar. Right. Yes. Yeah. And, and just as a short note, and I, won't, I promise I won't dwell on it. Um, James, you mentioned that he embraces the, the, the old blood and the beastly scourge. The beastly scourge was actually unknown at this point. Right? That's you're um, right. You're right. So, I, and and Aaron did mention this that w there was evidence of a a beastly scourge brought upon because of old blood in in the land of Loran or in the city of Loran, wherever Loran exists exactly. But that was in the past, right? So, the 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 tomb prospectors um, of Bergenworth that were that were you know delving around these catacombs probably stumbled upon that at some point, but passed it off and said, okay, it's not that big of a deal. Right. But what we end up seeing in, um, you know, the history repeats itself, right? So we end up seeing um, the Beast of Scourge occur in Yarnum. And that was obviously an unintended consequence of, you know, dabbling in, in the old blood in the healing church. Because at the forefront, we see this, this healing, we see that the, um, you know, and the people of Yarnum become to uh, come to trust the healing church because they, they you know, heal all, all types of problems, yeah. mental and physical. But obviously, then we see the consequence of the beastly scourge. Um, so another question, and I think, Tom, you can kind of answer this one maybe, is uh, there's a specific note in the lore that uh, the clerics or the people connected to the church that were, you know, more closely connected or perhaps more spiritually involved in the church became the most ferocious beasts, like um, like Vicar Amelia or the cleric beast, for example. Like, do you know why that could be the case? Um, is like is maybe faith like the opposite of insight and that makes them more beastly uh, or were like, they abusing the use of the old blood more than kind of like taking like overdosing compared to the way that they were kind of handing it out as a form of healing yeah, yeah. that that's a really good question and and i think there might be some evidence in the dlc that would suggest that is the case, but what I can at least say for for certain is that there's there's definitely a hierarchy defined in the healing church, right? So so Lawrence is essentially the the creator, um, and and he is gives himself or is given the title by you know who the the disciples essentially that that follow him are uh, as as the first vicar, right? So he's he's essentially the first vicar. As we know, Lawrence succumbs to uh, to the beastly scourge as anyone really who takes the blood does for the most part. Um, yeah, and, and 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 by the time we the the player character gets to Yarnum, we see that there's a new Vicar named Amelia. But as I guess to your to your question, Aaron, we there are people associated with the Healing Church that don't necessarily turn into into these cleric beasts, right? My guess is it's probably it's probably the the quantity 
there might be something else that would affect like basically like how how monstrous of a beast you become but yeah I, I don't know I don't know if there's really any evidence in the game to suggest like why the cleric beasts in particular you know become these like these like white-haired like significantly larger beasts as opposed to like the 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 people that that roam the streets of Yarnum or maybe like uh healing healing church hunters that drank too much of the old blood and and now are you know just kind of like normal like average beasts but yeah I, 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 I definitely if, yeah. like the idea that since they're higher ups in the church, they would probably have like unlimited access to blood. Yeah. Or um, they yeah. have like better quality, like grade right. A versus like, yeah. And then thematically, I do, I do think the idea of, you know, this is a church they're focused on, you know, faith, which is literally the exact opposite of insight, right? Insight is peering deeper and closer at reality. Faith is looking away from reality towards, you know, something beyond, um, yeah, and even though the words faith, I don't think are really brought up much in the game. I do like I do like that point where it's sort of the opposite of of insight, um, because that faith is based in the blood. Really, it's yeah. it's almost like it's not even like the healing church itself. The healing church are really just the like the administrators of 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 the old blood, but really it's like it's the old blood that that the Arnhemites get addicted to, and it's literally an addiction. I mean, there's a try uh, try not to go too much into like item descriptions, but the pungent blood cocktail item yep. mentions that you know, between, between like the, the, the blood of Yarnum and alcohol, the blood is significantly more intoxicating to the, to Yarnumites. Um, mm. So, you know, it's, it's really an addiction that, that they have to this blood because it's so, you know, freeing or healing or powerful or whatever the case is. Um, who is the other branch of the church? Yeah. So, okay. So, so from Bergenworth, we have uh, the healing church, obviously with Lawrence. Um, we have the choir and maybe we'll get into that in a bit. That, that's still associated with the healing church, but the third, um, or I guess there's really two other branches, one of which is the school of Mensis and the school of Mensis we'll probably end up talking about as, as it applies to the game, since the main game plot uh, focuses to some extent around the school of Mensis, but the school of Mensis was started by um, a, a wonderful, very sane man named Mikolaj. <laughs> Um, I mean, was, he may have been those things when he started it. We don't know. <laughs> Probably, but certainly not. It. Yeah, certainly not yeah. the case anymore. Yeah, he he basically started the school of Mensis, and unlike the healing church that focused more in the um, on the the understanding of evolution by blood, school of Mensis followed more closely um, to Willem's original thought about evolution by knowledge. Um, so they sort of followed that. They do kind of not betray Willem and sort of follow that path. What's kind of interesting, though, is that from the beginning, it's called the School of Mensis. Mensis means moon and or is related to menses, which is, you know, female uh, period. Um, I just think it's very interesting that right off the bat was named the School of Mensis. Like, why? What did he know about the moon? Did he know of the moon presence? Yeah. Um, it's, it's very, yeah, it's very strange. And we never get any lore information about that, also, about that, why that name was chosen. That is one of many references to female periods in this game. Yeah, actually, yeah. Because there is the yeah, literal blood moon. Uh-huh. But yeah, you know, I, I do, I don't want to gloss over things like the choir right now. I think we should talk about that, especially because we were just talking about kind of the teachings of Master Willem. And despite the fact that the Healing Church branched off, there as we mentioned, you know, the choir is kind of less interested in the old blood and more interested in kind of conducting experiments kind of related to insight, right? I mean, they, they are, they're seeking a brightest and maybe we should talk about who a brightest is because yeah. it's pretty significant. You know, actually, I guess when I think of, when you think of all the factions in the game, right, the School of Mensis, the, um, the Hunter's Workshop, which we can talk about, the, um, you know, Healing Church, 
it seems like actually really it's only Lawrence and the resulting healing church that are really more focused on the blood aspect than knowledge, but every other group focuses more on the, on the eldritch truth and, and knowledge aspect. Well, I, I, I would say though, you can lump in basically all of the average citizens of Yarnum with the church. Uh, yeah, like yes. that's a, that's a very sizable contingent is these blood intoxicated. People. That's yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that is a very fair point, but yeah, to the, to the point on the choir. So again, you know, we can talk about evidence versus theories in the game, but I think evidence suggests that. So, so, you know, after, after the college of Bergenworth splits into the different factions, um, there are still people that are, that are delving into the catacombs. Um, under Yarnum. And it's suggested from my understanding that a Brightus is essentially found in the catacombs. Right. Maybe that's not entirely the case, but I, I believe that's the case. And, and it's found specifically by the healing church. So they're, they really, they, they, you know, quote unquote, get their hands on a great one, so to speak. And they start to commune with a Brightus and try to understand um, a Brightus. And that's sort of like the great one that they commune with and get their eldritch knowledge from. I think it's significant too that um, they are only really found, I mean, with a few exceptions, they're mainly found though in the upper cathedral ward, um, which uh, significantly is where something called the orphanage is. Yes. Um, I think that word, you know, can mean many things. Was it an orphanage for children? Was it an orphanage for a breedist? Was it an orphanage for these weird lumen flower things? Um, but I think the idea of the choir finding a breedist um, I think that was probably just where that very natural break happened. I'm sure the choir was like, listen, we found this great one. We're going to kind of go over here and do that. Um, whereas, you know, Lawrence was uh, kind of doing his own thing with Beast Blood. What I find particularly interesting is that the choir, the healing church, uh, the hunter's workshop in reality are all like, either in the same building or less than a quarter mile of away from each other. Yeah. 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 And, and, and that is because the, the, before the healing ch church workshop existed, the original workshop started by German was the, the hunters of the church. Yeah. Um, right. And, and, you know, we see, we see that German and Maria and um, I think technically even at, at some point, Dura and uh, Eileen, the crow all exist or all serve the workshop to some extent, whether they serve the church, I guess is maybe another matter. German and Maria definitely do. But yeah, Ludwig was not a thing at this point. The Healing Church workshop was not did not exist at this point. Um, this was at like the very the very early days of the Healing Church. Um, but yeah, so you mentioned the Upper Cathedral Ward, Aaron, and and that's I think it's interesting because it's like um, you know there's we talk about the hierarchy, basically like ninety percent of the you know citizens or people affiliated with the Healing Church get like the you know they get the old blood and they get that sort of appearance that the Healing Church puts up. But only really like the top 10% get to, you know, commune with the brightest and that's what makes up the choir. So they're, they're this like very elite sect of the church that actually gets to, to commune with a great one. And, and one, one thing I wanted to dial back or go back to is that we mentioned, um, someone mentioned babies or children. The, the significance of that being that the choir, it is heavily implied, if not explicitly stated, that the choir was taking children or babies from Yarnamites and experimenting on them to create well what we'll refer to as kin yeah is that where the lumen flower children come from yes. yeah, yeah. And, and it wasn't it wasn't just the choir actually that's that's been going on that that was go well you know and we'll talk about the DLC but that was going on when uh, when Maria was in charge of the research hall that's true uh, in the healing church as well 
The other thing that's interesting about the choir uh, versus some of the other groups is that the choir uh, apparently can safely and freely uh, navigate certain dreams or nightmares because we do see a choir member uh, specifically in Nightmare of Mensis. The Nightmare of Mensis, yes. We do see yeah. them in places that normally you would not think they would go. Um, so that, that at least to me, kind of indicates uh, they, they have the ability, probably through Abritus, to safely navigate certain like dream realms or to go there and back, unlike yeah. Mikolash. I, I think, yeah, that's like, that's a really good point because there is, it, it's interesting because there's a schism at Bergen North initially, right? That that gives all these offshoots, but there's also sort of this like feud between the choir and the school of Mensis. And, and it's and it's evident by by two things, one of which you mentioned, Aaron, which is that the choir was looking into what the school of Mensis was dabbling in um, with respect to the, the blood moon ritual, which we'll I'm sure we'll get to in the main game. But the other evidence too is that the the upper cathedral ward key that you grab off of a corpse is in the city of Yaragul, which the school of Mensis sort of runs but you get the key off of the corpse of a member of the choir. Yeah. So there's, there's yeah. clearly some feud that's going on between the two, um, like almost fighting over like who has the most knowledge and eyes, I guess. I don't know, but. Um, yeah. Well, did we, so yeah, did we talk, well, we talked a little bit about school of Mensis and the hunter's workshop, but um, are we ready to talk about maybe who runs those things or should we move on to Canehurst and kind we of talk about characters as a whole? Maybe we should talk about, uh, and maybe one of you two could could lead that discussion about kind of just briefly about Canehurst and the Biobloods and the kind of their feud with the Healing Church, and then we should talk about who the hunters are. And I think kind of after we do that, that's when we can really get into the actual story progression. Yeah, Tom, what do what do you know about Canehurst? Probably a lot. Yeah, yeah. So Canehurst, uh, Canehurst is one of the um, aspects of this game that I, I like when it comes to the lore, it's I always forget it, but I, I think it's some of the most significant lore. Um, Kanehurst, so Kanehurst is an interesting area. So I think the, 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 as a summary for the lore, the idea is that the that Tumerian, the, the Tumerian line kind of descends to, so we have Queen Yarnum, right? That starts the city of Yarnum and, and all that. But the, 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 the Kanehurst line also descends from the Tumerians. So they're actually directly related to the Yarnumites, but, for, but it's almost like this weird, like, the, I think it's, I think it was the idea was that the healing church was trying to isolate them because they didn't like them for whatever reason. And maybe there is a reason. And I won't say I know what it is because I don't remember. Well, they're but, called vile bloods. Yeah, exactly. So something about the way, and they have those disgusting giant, like tick flea things. So I think maybe oh, the something about workers. the way they use blood or collect blood is impure or, you know, abhorrent to the regular Yarnamites for yeah. whatever reason. Well, and, and so as a physical place, right, the Castle Canehurst is, is isolated from the rest of the city, which I think is significant as well geographically. But I, I always got the impression, and this is just my personal theory, that the Healing Church wants to isolate Canehurst because they have this bad blood, this vile blood. But I, but I think what it really comes down to is they do that solely for the standpoint of trying to convince the people there's nothing wrong with the blood that they're using. Mm. Ultimately, the the blood that Canehurst that the Canehurst you know imbibes in, and the blood that Yarnamites and the Healing Church imbibe in, I'm almost certain is exactly the same blood. It comes from a great one. There's really no difference between them. But the Healing Church has a has an image to maintain, and they need to they need to make sure that they keep the trust of the people because they don't because they're trying to hide the beastly scourge, right? And so I think. Um, you know, they're trying to, to say, oh, well, these, you know, these vile bloods, you know, you can't trust them. Um, you know, they have bad blood or whatever the case is. Um, 
but yeah, I, I guess that's that's sort of where I come from. What's interesting though is that you don't really see the beastly scourge affect Kanehurst. Or maybe yeah. it did, but we don't see it in the game. I mean, or maybe it was a different scourge, and that's what those like gargoyle monsters are. That seems yeah. like a huge stretch, but I mean, it knows? could be possible also that Logarius just eliminated the entire beastly scourge himself. That right? actually probably makes actually, the most sense. Yeah, that I don't think there's any evidence to, su- to suggest that he killed beasts. It really just that's says right. that that yeah. that that Logarius and the um, I don't recall what the hunters, the, the wheel hunters or whatever their, their faction is called. Um, they're obviously still associated with the healing church, but they are basically the task force that was sent out to eliminate the vile bloods. Um, and they do except for. Queen yeah. Bloods. So let's, let's talk about the hunters. Let, let's talk about like the original workshop formed by German and German or however you want to say it. Uh, and, and I guess his, his, um, his number one Maria, and then maybe go down and talk a little bit more about some of the other hunters and kind of what the purpose of the hunters was when we, we talked about it briefly, but let's kind of reiterate it because I think it's very important because you frequently encounter other hunters in the game and there's many, many references to other hunters and you even fight some of those hunters. Yeah. Um, so the original workshop, yeah, as we mentioned, was originally associated with the healing church, but by the time you play the game in Bloodborne, it's not affiliated with the healing church anymore. And the healing church has their own workshop, right? Um, very briefly, right. The healing church workshop has Ludwig as, um, the sort of the, 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 um, like bastion of, of, you know, like fighting the beastly scourge, et cetera. And he actually recruits Yarnamites to, to help join him. So that's sort right. of, I think really all we need to say about the healing church workshop. And many of those Yarnamites end up coming to the beastly scourge as well. Cause yeah, you exactly. encounter many, many beasts that are wearing hunter like garbs. Yes, yes Absolutely. Um, as far as the the original workshop goes, it was started by German um, and his yeah his number one Maria. Um, it's suggested that they were probably also students at Bergenworth, or at least they were associated with Bergenworth in some manner, probably because they um, obviously yes. they were at the fishing hamlet, um, which we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. But they were also um, most likely like uh, uh, prospecting through the through the catacombs of Yarnum as well. And stumbled upon the old blood around the same time that you know Willem and, and Lawrence and everybody found it as well. Um, but in, in terms of the gameplay, right? So y- the player character, you become associated with the original workshop, or at least what becomes of the original workshop. Um, and I don't know if we want to go into that right now. We're focused more on the hunters. Maybe I'll focus more on the hunters. Yeah. Um, so you're associated with the with the workshop. German's the original, Maria's there as well. Um it, it, there is evidence in the game um, through di- NPC dialogue that there are some other members, other NPCs you run into that were also um, associated with the workshop at one point through the Hunter's Dream, which are Dura um, of the Powder Kegs and Eileen the Crow, um, who is of the Hunter of Hunters faction. And Eileen is one of the ones that specifically mentions, I believe, that like she mentions the idea that like yeah you'll die you'll wake up here like you're kind of stuck like this sucks um and it kind of at least cements the idea that just like in dark souls of the bonfire when you die there is a reason within the text within the story why you keep coming back right yeah and yeah dura and eileen both give some form of dialogue that that is like i don't dream anymore which suggests right. that they used to be associated with the hunter's dream but have now woken up um, you know, whatever that means. Yeah. Um, yeah, as, as far as other hunters go, oh, um, Alfred is another hunter that you meet. Um, he's associated with the Healing Church. He's sort of like a, like a fanboy for Logarius. Um, so I think he was actually 
he might have followed Logarius at one point to Kanehurst, but I think it's suggested that he hasn't been to Kanehurst. Or actually, yeah, he hasn't because he's looking for it. Um, so Alfred is associated with the Healing Church, but his his main mission really is to get to Kanehurst. He's not really necessarily um, uh, too interested in what's going on in Yarnum. Right. I think it's telling that you find him just kind of chilling uh, in this relatively isolated area, and it does not look as though he's been fighting the beasts. He, I think you're right. He is wholly focused on Kanehurst. Right. Um, and then I think really the only other significant NPC that you run into is uh, Valter, who is the master of the League, another faction of hunters. And Valter's an interesting NPC, and I'm sure we'll talk about him a bit when we talk about the DLC, because you can also find him there. But he essentially leads a, a group uh, called, the, called the, the League, um, and members are called Confederates, and your, your goal is basically to kill beasts, as, as hunters do, but it's specifically to, to find these things called vermin, which I don't really think there's much to be said about it. It's, it's more of like a covenant um, aspect of the game. Um, there's not too many lore implications to be honest. Um, but yeah, Volter is sort of like the head of that group. Um, and you can, you can join that, that covenant at some point in the game. Yep. Yep. Um, you're forgetting one really, really, really important NPC though. I, the doll. <laughs> you didn't mention oh, the doll. Yeah. You oh, mentioned, Maria. Have, you mentioned Maria, but not the doll. Of course. That's true. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So the, yeah. How could I forget the doll? Of course. Um, that's how you level up in the game. Um, for, you know, <laughs> for lack of anything else, but yeah, as far as the doll goes, so the idea is there was, German probably had a love interest in Maria, um, and he fashioned the doll um, off, based off of Maria's appearance. This is just, this is just my understanding, um, might be theory, but I think it's evidenced in the game that Maria's, we, we talked a bit about dreamlines, and I think Maria's consciousness becomes uh, trapped in the hunter's nightmare. Um, and so because German loses her, essentially, um, he crafts the doll in, in, in her image or, but, and, or also because he has this romantic interest in her. Well, but, but very tellingly, it's not in her image. Very tellingly, it's this infantile, like infantilized, yeah. uh, like it's very weird to me that he would, very I, I don't even, it's very creepy and I don't know if it's honoring Maria or like his mind is broken and he wants to keep her innocent, but then he also like says it's cool with him if you rape the doll. Like it's, it's very, I don't very know. Disturbing. I really, I don't know yeah. what to make of it. It's not healthy. No, it's no, certainly not. Not well, much German, in this game is healthy. No, 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 no. German's, but yeah, it, so it definitely colors my thoughts about German and Maria's reactions. Like German, obviously, you know, we know German had, you know, some kind of thoughts and feelings about Maria. We don't really know what Maria thought of German. You know, maybe she hated him. Maybe she really resented him and <clears throat> wanted nothing to do with him. Um, but we don't, you know, we, we don't know. Yeah, right. Yeah. Another bit about Maria, uh, just as a fun fact, is that it is um, evident in the game that Maria is actually of the line of Kanehurst, um, as is one other character, which is Ariana, um, who you know has uh, gameplay and lore implications in the game, right? With with respect to the different endings. Yep. Um, but I, I just thought that was important to note because Kanehurst is, yeah, Kanehurst is is isolated physically, but it also there's a lot of you know, aspects of Kanehurst or people from Kanehurst that appear uh, in, in the main game as well. And DLC. Yeah. yeah. Well, should we kind of jump into areas? Yeah. That, uh... let, well, let's, let's start with the main story, I guess. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, the opening cutscene scene uh, is, all, you know, it is confusing on its own. Um, well, I, I would say what's different about this cutscene than Dark Souls 1 and 2 is that 
Dark Souls wanted to kind of give you a pretty clear understanding of your goals, which is yep. in Dark Souls one to kind of kill these gods and Dark Souls two uh, to, you know, to go to this other world and kind of, you know, fix yourself and Bloodborne it's very unclear. Um, even how you got here, Dark Souls 2, it's unclear, but at least you know you flew through a lake portal made of skulls, <laughs> yeah. you know? If only it was that simple. Yeah. Um, so, again, this is, a lot of it's kind of a little ambiguous. Uh, your player character wakes up on an operating table, essentially, and sees that this kind of old man who looks kind of like a hunter and who I thought was German for a long time um, is performing like a blood a blood transfusion on you because you are apparently there they make some reference to pale blood this is kind of what we mentioned earlier is the reason you are there you are seeking a cure to some sort of illness so what's weird is this is a little note uh because I, I thought it was German at first too um it is not it's actually I believe just a standard uh character model for a wheelchair enemy yep um which is really weird <laughs> Yeah, that they wouldn't just make it like a bespoke individual or even just Iosefka herself. I didn't uh, have time to look into this, but I heard hear that there is some sort of deleted like line or some sort of deleted piece of lore that was put out by from that actually names the character. Oh, um, but it's not yes, it's I, not I significant. That's correct. And so, yeah. And so that person kind of warns you that you're going to go on some sort of adventure <laughs> that's going to feel like a dream. So right off the bat, we're, we're already kind of in cuckoo bananas territory. Yeah. Um, I mean, is this um, is this total recall? And like it really you, is. You wake up in the bed and it's been two minutes and the blood went through. You know what? Like, yeah. It, who knows right and then so so your the screen goes black i mean I, I guess you pass out or something like that um and the next time you wake up again and you're looking at yourself kind of still strapped into the operating table and these beasts start appearing and kind of start like like look like they're about to attack you or claw you or something like that but then fire appears um which kind of makes the beasts go away um, and these little tiny creatures, uh, I don't remember what they're called. The um, they're called the messengers. Oh, the messengers. Yeah. Right. Thank you. Uh, start kind of swarming you. And then it, it got to black again. And that's, I think, when you complete your character creation, which is just a very, just a, I, I remember the first time playing this, I was like, what the hell is happening right now? Exactly like you mentioned here, like in contrast to Dark Souls, where it's like, okay, I, I kind of get it. I mean, it's minimal, but I get it. Here, you're like, what? fuck is happening <laughs> and then you wake again uh on the operating table in a what well, I, I guess it, it, in yarnum or i guess it, it, i don't know if it's the exact same location where you fell asleep or where you were being operated on before um but either is way the real version is it the dream version right you are in a clinic in yarnum which we mentioned before so uh let's get into kind of the progression from this sick room where you start to kind of the let's like all the way off let's go all the way through beginning of cathedral ward um just kind of ending the the gas coin fight yeah can i take central yarnum because that is uh that is a favorite area of mine absolutely so central yarnum is the area you enter uh right after the sick room where you begin the game um you kind of enter through this combination yard and graveyard outside of iosefka's clinic um, and immediately you can see that the city is in shambles. Uh, immediately you see carriages overturned. You see chained up coffins everywhere. Uh, you see smoke rising in the distance. 
Um, there's a few very basic enemies here. Um, you know, they're crouching down. They're not necessarily looking at you. So you can get some hits in and attack them to get a feel for combat. Um, but what makes this one of my favorite areas um, and probably the strongest opening area in a Souls game um, is the level of atmosphere. So you turn and you go down um, the street slightly uphill. Um, again, this is the main city area. So you have kind of residential apartment buildings on either side of you. Um, but there's just this smoke and fog that you can hear voices through. You can hear sounds through. Um, as you walk down the street, uh, mobs of half beast men with wooden shields and flimsy sickles and weapons will will kind of rush you. Uh, and especially compared to other Souls games, uh, everything is so very fast. Um, in other Souls games, you don't generally have to take on whole groups of enemies until yeah. a bit later. Um, this kind of throws you right in. And then as you go, both the anxiety from a gameplay uh, mechanic perspective and an anxiety from kind of an aesthetic story perspective blend, because as you progress, there's this roaring, crackling fire that you're hearing. Um, you can kind of knock on doors, uh, you know, have lanterns in front and you hear the citizens of Yarnum kind of, you know, mocking you and disparaging you and also laughing hysterically. Yeah, um, it's it's a it's a bone chilling and very effective first area. Yeah, and in sharp contrast to the, like you mentioned coming to the other Dark Souls games, I mean, this is a very lived in space. Right. Yes. Um, it, it is vastly different than other experiences with the with the games in the series, and it it's just a, an immediately just gripping um place to be and explore. Yeah, I would I would say the set piece of this area is just this giant bonfire where a beast is. Or no, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of. Oh no, there is a beast no. cruiser. Yep. Yeah, 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 there is a beast yep. crucified in the this bonfire, um, which also lends to the idea that these people are very clearly intoxicated or sick or kind of gone in their curse, because oftentimes we'll see areas where beasts are either hung up or crucified, seemingly by other beast infected humans. Right. Um, which is strange, right? They, they either don't know what they're doing anymore or when one of them goes full beast, they kind of kill it and sacrifice it or, you know, burn it so it can't come back. Right. From a gameplay perspective, you are essentially, as in many other Souls games, kind of intended to die to the first beast you encounter, which is this kind of, um, what are they called? I mean, they're not just like werewolves, but they're... Or they're not werewolves. They're they're some wolf like creature. They're beef. They're beef boy wolves. Beef, beef boy, beef they're boy very, wolves. Yeah. Um. So you 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 are unarmed. You die, uh, and you are then transported to the hunter's dream, where you then are able to you know pick your starting gun and your starting weapon. We won't get into kind of the weapons. We talked about that last episode. Then you're transported back to Yarnum to feel free to continue to explore. Um. Again, gameplay wise, you uh anyone savvy to the soul series is might have been wondering at the time why can't i level up with this with the blood echoes that i'm create uh collecting you can't do that yet until is it that you face the a first boss or defeat a first boss i believe face. Face. yeah face. Face. okay and who and so there's an optional first boss that you can encounter let's talk about that before we talk about the official final boss of this area uh one of you want to take the cleric beast I don't even really know the, the the lore significance of the cleric beast. Although the cleric, the name cleric beast is obviously relevant to what we were talking about earlier. It, but, but, maybe assuming it, this is a high ranking member of the healing church, but yeah. or higher ranking, but not 
high enough ranking where they're named in any fashion. I think, too, having it be uh, one of the first bosses you can encounter sets you up immediately to know, like, okay, there's a church involved here. Um, Because just in this first area, you don't necessarily hear about the healing church a lot. Um, You're just kind of more engrossed in, like, Yardum as a city. So I think having uh, specifically the word cleric um, kind of lets you know that that the religion is a force here. Yeah, absolutely. Tom uh, and Aaron, anything else about Yardum before we talk about Father Gascoigne? Yeah, I got I got a couple things. Um, so first of all, there, um, so there's there's one NPC you can talk to. Well, two actually. So we talked about Eileen. You you meet Eileen in this area. Um, you can also talk to another NPC that I almost always forget is really in the game because you only talk to him pretty much once. But you can go back. Um, that's Gilbert. Um, Gilbert is in. He's right by the first lamp. Um, the first like that 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 you can also take to get back to the hunter's dream right um and he basically is like yeah welcome to yarnum um kind of a shit place we're in the middle of a hunt you know try not to die um but he actually there is one significant piece of dialogue and he, he basically tells you to um you, you ask him about pale blood which is you know the reason that you came to yarnum and he does mention that you should seek out the healing church but he doesn't say uh, yes. where to go yes. he says he says the main he says the main bridge is blocked off which i think is also something that's important to mention, but I won't go into it. Um, and he basically says, yeah, take the sewers. You should be able to like get around another way. And that's ultimately what brings you to gas coin. Well, um, and what's kind of confusing is that he's not just a physical person in the space. You talk to him through the window and unless yeah. you know, unless you know that red lanterns outside windows or doors mean that, you know, you can talk to whoever's in there, which why would you at this beginning stage of the game? I absolutely missed him the first time. Yeah. yeah. And one of you mentioned last episode, I want to reiterate it here is that this game probably more than all of the other souls games uh, d- tells you the least about yeah. how to play the game. Yeah. Um, right. Which is <laughs> frustrating, uh, but also kind of exciting because um, this starting area is a, is a doozy. And I mean, that in a good way. Yeah. Anything else, Tom? Yeah, oh, I'll try to keep it short. Um, just some, some some more significant things. So well, it's your it's yeah. your favorite area, probably it, like an evolved video game. So feel free to to gush a little bit. Yeah, well, it's it's certainly my favorite starting area by far um, of all the Souls game, and and pr- primarily for the reason you talked about, Aaron, which is just the atmospheric um, immersion that you get. It's incredible. Um, it's it, unlike it really any of the games that yeah. came before. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely. That's I mean that, that was like the moment I fell in love with the game the first time I played it was was just this area. Um, so uh, yeah, as, as far as lore goes, so um, I did mention yeah. So I mentioned that um, Gilbert says that the main bridge is blocked off. I just think that's significant because the healing church is basically barricading themselves in, um, and essentially, yep. you know, they're like, "Oh, <laughs> this beast scourge. Uh, yeah, sorry, we can't really do anything about it. You guys just gotta, you know, fend for yourselves and help the hunters, you know, fend the beasts off for you guys." So they kind of they basically just sort of say, like, "Okay, we're done here. Like we, you know, we can't really do anything about it." And they they block themselves off, and so Yarnum. Uh, at least central Yarnum is essentially doomed to, you know, to succumb to the beastly scourge. The other, the other significant thing I wanted to mention was um, we spoke a little bit about it last game, but it, it does have large lore implications. Is the the uh, game state? So the first time that you, when you wake up and you and you start in Yarnum, um, it's like early evening, um, and we'll see that that the night essentially progresses as you as you get through the game. But it's I think it's important to note that it's not it's not quite like nighttime yet. Um, but it's like early evening um, and we'll see that game state progress as we, as we move through Yarnum. Yeah. Um, Aaron, anything else? Um, no, I think Tom pretty much covered it. Um, we end at the tomb of Eden. Um, I've heard 
Odin. I've heard uh, Eden. I've heard a bunch of things, but I believe it's Eden. Um, but to get the key to the tomb of Eden, we have to beat a certain father Gascoigne. Yes. Uh, this is, and I'll just, uh, you guys can talk about more lore if there's anything else we left unsaid earlier, but just from a gameplay perspective, this is, you know, the other Dark Souls games had you face off like you're, you know, a warrior type you know, soldier or whatnot facing off against, you know, guys in armor um, that kind of more human or humanoid or human. Yet this is this felt so different. This is really your first taste at a frantic hunter versus hunter type battle. And it, it, it is your real your introduction to the kind of how quick on your feet you need to be. In this game, you might have gotten a taste of that, you know, when fighting the cleric beast or uh, other enemies in Yarnum, but this is really your, your ruin your throne really into the fire. Well, um, it's, it's yeah. kind of a blend of both a hunter fight and a beast type fight, yeah, right? Because exactly. the first half is that, you know, frantic, furious hunter fight. And then the second half is kind of an even more frantic, even more furious beast fight. Right. And then and the fact that it's actually a smaller beast is almost and like a faster than like, you know, as big as the cleric beast was, is, is you know, the, the beast form that Father Gascoigne takes um, the second phase of this fight. I mean, it, it is it's almost more overwhelming. Yeah, um, it is for sure. You know, it's like, you know, let's take this 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 incredibly strong hunter and just make him a little bit more powerful. <laughs> but yeah, th- this is a, a, a incredible fight. The one that I definitely hit my head against a couple times. Uh, and then ended up just kind of abusing the tactic of hide behind gravestones and uh, spin to win with the, with the ax and his yeah, trick form. Yeah. But I mean, I think the, the game wisely gives you those options. Um, so to, to kind of paint a picture of the scene, you were finding father Gascoigne in a graveyard with uh, trees around. And during the fight, you are able to dodge and duck behind some of those gravestones and trees um, I think the game is is being generous with this terrain because you will later have boss fights with even more enemies with far less to kind of dodge around. Or yeah, or nothing. Yeah. Or nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It's Anything it's a it's a great fight, Tom. About Father Gascoigne. Um, I will mention Tom because you know a bit more about lore perhaps than I do. Um, is Father Gascoigne um, confirmed to be a foreigner or an outsider like you, or is that just speculation? Yeah, that's what I was going to mention. So so his his armor set. That actually technically counts as a healing church, like associated, uh, like garb. But he's not actually part of the healing church. He's associated with the original workshop, as is Henrik. He and Henrik are basically kind of like best buds. Um, they, like, along with German, were you know they would. German's basically supposed to. He's supposed to be the manifestation of like what what happens when if to a hunter when they become so like um, blood drunk with with killing uh, beasts. Um, he's basically gone crazy just from from killing all the beasts. But he's not associated with the Healing Church. Uh, I think he's I think he's a foreigner, just like you are. I believe that is that is evident in. Um, I and know. I know all the Demon Souls people freak out because he says Umbasa, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, <laughs> yep. yeah the cut dialogue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so after that, we make our way to Cathedral Ward. Um, Cathedral Ward is kind of like the hub area in a way, the closest thing to a hub area that we get. I mean, while, you know, there's that kind of cylindrical level design that takes you back to central Yardum, I mean, Cathedral Ward is where you, there's a lot of branches off, off of that. The boss of that, of this area, which we'll get into a little bit later, is Vicar Amelia, which we, who we mentioned before. Um, but more notably from Cathedral Ward, you can access a bunch of different areas. Uh, the first and 
one of the most notable of which is Old Yarnum. We don't want to spend too much time going into the lore significance of Old Yarnum. I don't think we really touched on this before. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, guys, obviously. Um, but Old Yarnum is a portion of Yarnum where kind of like uh, the, the, the plague, like a, like the, the beast scourge originated, but also was kind of ravished with um, a disease called Ashen Blood, um, which it kind of just took beasts and made them poisonous. Uh, in a way, it was a very, it was an infectious like poison that kind of spread throughout the area. And that's kind of how they explain what antidotes are, what the poison status is in this game. Antidotes were kind of created to kind of combat, uh, combat and put the ash and blood disease at bay. But eventually this became too much. And the hunters were tasked with burning old yarn to the ground. Which is why I think it's odd that it's called Ashen Blood, because we know Old Yarn was burned to the ground. So was it called Ashen beforehand? Why was it called Ashen if it's poison? Um, is it called Ashen after the fact, after it was burned down? Like It's it's not clear. Yeah, it, I found that interesting as well. And I, I looked a little bit for an answer. I could not find one. Yeah, there there isn't one. Yeah. Um, the boss of this area is the blood-starved beast, uh, which you fight in a big church chapel. So again, the terrain is a little less uh, forgiving than Gascoigne, but you do have big pillars to dodge behind. This is a big old shaggy poison dripping monster. Skin and this is dripping. Like the skin, the, the skin is quite literally hanging yeah. off. It's one of the coolest examples of it is. boss design enemy design in this game it is this is the boss that um this this was where the game really showed me uh how challenging it could be i was stuck on the blood yeah. beast for a while i will i was too um yeah, so was I. I was summoning for it too and i uh it didn't help. I ended up beating it on my own because just giving the boss too, too much help with the, with summoning help it ended up being too, too overwhelming. The same thing actually happened to me. I, I, and now in a replay, I always beat him by myself. And I think it's harder with, uh, you know, even I, I believe with the most recent patch, there is an NPC summon there as well. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I don't think it's worth it because yeah, they die and then they get poisoned and then you're dealing with Bloodstar Beast with way more health than uh, you have to. Yeah. One of the other areas that you can branch off from uh, or that branches off of Cathedral Ward is the abandoned er workshop. I mean, it, we mentioned kind of this is the first workshop, right? This is this is Gurman's first workshop. Is that right? Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Not Gurman's. No, no. So it is. Right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. There's there's two. Yeah, there's two workshops that you can that you basically can get to. Uh, yeah. Right after you, you beat Bloodstarved Beast. The first the first area you enter is the Healing Church workshop. Um, which is where, you know, Ludwig um, basically sort of continued the original workshop after the original workshop basically, uh, you know, shut down. Um, well, shut down in, in the physical realm of Yarnum. Obviously, we know that it it still kind of exists in the Hunter's Dream, but regardless. Um, yeah, and the second location you find is specifically called the Abandoned Old Workshop, which is the physical location of um, German's original workshop, which is a uh, an exact replica of what we see, or rather the Hunter's Dream, workshop is an exact replica exactly. of a physical place in Yarnum. Yep. Yep. Including um a physical doll. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Anything else mentioned about that? Yeah, I was just going to say it's significant. It's kind of hard to get to. It's a, it's a completely it. missable thing. You Yeah, you have to like drop off a platform and very precisely yeah. and will most likely fall and die and miss it. Um but if you do get there, you get a very significant item that I'm sure that will I think it makes more sense to talk about towards the end of the game. Uh, which is the uh, um, the umbilical cord of a great one. Yeah, maybe one, should we talk about that when we get into costs? Oh yeah, sorry, you're gonna say Aaron. One third cord, right? I believe is correct. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 
which is yeah. significant. Um, so we'll get very. Aaron, anything else on that one? No, but uh, th- tell us about the next area because that one's real fun. I like the next area. It's a fun area, but it, it's it's is it perhaps one of the biggest outliers of the entire game? Um, I mean, I think it's very confusing uh, lore wise. Like, why do these ladies want eyes? Yeah, so this is Hemwick Ch- Charnel Lane, uh, the boss of which is the Witch of Hemwick. I mean, I'm this also... is but this is significant because this is where you find um, Carol. Yeah, two, well, two things yeah. we should mention. So far, all these optional areas, there has been a reason you're doing them. Um, Old Yarnum, you get uh, chalice material to get into a chalice you have not been able to before. Yeah, you, the you aband- get the first chalice, too. Yes, exactly. Yep. Uh, the abandoned workshop, uh, you get the umbilical cord. And then, uh, so two things. One, I've heard it pronounced Hemwick or Hemic. I have no idea why Hemic, but no idea. I've heard both. Um, and the Hemic Lane, you get the runes, um, right? Runes? Yes, I'm very confused because I'm playing Elden Ring and runes are something that, that <laughs> yeah, are something different. Yeah, yeah. You, get, you get the rune workshop. Rune. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, what and what is that? That is we talked about it last uh, last episode. Um, that is how you equip uh, runes to to your character. Um, they function basically like as rings, you know, kind of like rings do um, in the the other Souls games. Um, yeah, and, and so James, you were kind of mentioning that the, the area is is a bit of an outlier. It it, it serves functionally to sort of like you, know, you can get to Canehurst from that area, right? With the in the carriage, um, right? But really, the only the only significant thing um, about the area is that you get the Rune Workshop tool and you find the corpse of most likely um, the character known as Carol. Um, yes, and, and Carol is actually pro- like probably one of the most significant characters in the game that is really severely, important yeah severely kind of like overshadowed by everything else in the game and tucked away here like you could yeah. go away from this game learning nothing about carol or their significance um in terms of how they were able to well i guess communicate or hear the great ones yes yeah right? and, and that's the most significant part so carol was the only person in the entire um you know uh uh city of yarnum or in the game essentially that was able to find a way to communicate with great ones without the use of blood or technically knowledge. Uh, it's really more so with, without blood, but it, it doesn't involve, you know, stuffing your brain with eyes or any of the weird, you know, sort of uh, uh, inhumane methods that, that Bergen with eventually and healing church eventually attempted in that. Yeah. These runes are essentially Carol found a way to basically like visually draw out, you know, what, what the great ones are, are, are saying. And there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a note on the workshop tool maybe, or I think maybe it's on one of the runes itself um, that mentions that Willem would have been extremely proud of Carol for, for coming up with these runes. Yes. Um, which suggests that Carol's associated with the College of Bergenworth, but probably after the time of, of Willem or something like that, um, since they didn't like directly know each other. Right, because presumably Carol is dead. Because presumably this art is lost. Uh, yes. Because because otherwise, I mean, like Carol's the winner, right? Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Exactly. Like he yeah. figured out how to access the power of the great ones. Unfortunately, I just think this is made up for a gameplay concession. Like they have to explain what runes are and where they came from. Um, because you know, to borrow, uh, you know, what the kids say these days, like that makes Carol super OP, right? <laughs> like honestly, like Carol's S tier if you. Can access the old ones and their powers and listen to them through the power of runes. I do, and I do you're love able that, to. Though. You're able to do it safely. Like this is safe. Like you're not going to become a monster, or whatever. Yeah. Um. So like he has to be dead. Something bad has to happen of the him. Like unfortunately, 
think this is a gameplay concession because it makes no sense that someone would be able to do this in the Yarnum and it wouldn't catch on like wildfire because I, I would unless I would, it was kept secret. But yeah, why? I, I but would why also, would you? If you see these goons like turning into beasts and monsters, why would you keep the secret? You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I can answer that, but I, I would disagree that. I mean, I, I certainly think that. Yeah, it could have been the case that they that you know FromSoft created the runes to function as sort of like yeah, more as a gameplay mechanic. But I would disagree in terms of like the ability of Carol to create the runes because we see the same thing occur in the research hall in the DLC with Saint Adeline. She is able to communicate with a great one and gives you the milkweed rune. Mm. Um, so it's certainly possible. I, I I I don't think it's entirely uh, yeah, sort of like a gameplay concession that that Carol was able to to create these runes. Now, yeah, now why he or she didn't share the runes with the rest of the college or, or whatever the case may be, that's an entirely different question. Maybe maybe they were captured by the witches Hemwick and, and they scooped out his eyeballs. We, yeah, there's, there's really, there's really no <laughs> I, I like that idea, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm personally a sucker for kind of lore in, in, in any sort of media that involves communicating with like otherworldly beings and finding a way to do that. I think like, the, the movie Arrival is like a great example of like I yeah, I, I eat that kind of stuff up and I actually every, every time I watch Arrival I think about Carol commuting communicating with the great <laughs> ones given that they're just basically using symbols in that movie too. Um, anyway, uh, the last area uh, uh, very optional and uh, this is and I want to bring this up less for lore reasons and more just because it blew my mind was Hypogean Jail to get there. You have to be killed by a specific type of enemy. And I thought it was late at night when I was playing. Uh, so I was very tired uh, and I got killed by this enemy. And, I, you know, you don't respawn like you normally would. Instead, there's a cutscene of you presumably in a bag being dragged along the ground. I had to look it up because I thought there was a glitch. Like I woke up in this area and I thought something had gone wrong. Yeah. I was so confused and very terrified about what was happening. I mean, I, I wouldn't say I thought it was a glitch, but I was like, this is not the right time for this game to be doing something so creepy. <laughs> um, and yeah, you so you wake up in Hypogean Jail, which is just a portion of the, what we'll talk about is Yara Ghoul. And the boss of this, I guess, I guess you could call it the boss of Hypogean Jail is this um, pain in the ass uh, douchebag named Dark Beast Parl. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing, too, that I think is interesting about the jail is that it's very clearly marked as a jail and you very clearly are in jail. However, you are left essentially like with your cell open and you are allowed to leave. Very weird. Um, which like they're just fucking me, with you. Well, right. Or they want you to do something or explore. Some, like they they could kill you. I mean, you're knocked out. They could kill you. They could keep you locked up. They they choose not to. But then when as soon as you go out, those same types of enemies will try to kill you then. Yeah, which again, who, yeah, very <laughs> odd. Yeah, um, but Dark Beast Parl, not much to say about him. He's a big, another big old beast boy uh, with lightning powers. Yeah, who can you? Who's the NPC you can summon here? Is that Jura or is that Henrik? I believe it's. I think it's da uh, Damien of Mensis, or maybe that's. Um... I thought it was one of. I thought it was one of them, though. Like one of the like it, OGs. It, 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 um. It might be. So, so I think what you're thinking of, Aaron, is the Henrik Henrik Hunter, like his set, his armor set has really good bolt defense, so it's really good against. Oh yes, Darkies yes, Parl. Yes. But the person, the NPC, you can actually summon. It, it's not like a part. It's not like a significant NPC. It's basically just like um like a Yaragul hunter. 
And I don't you're, recall yes, what the name is. Yes, yeah. you're right. I remembered specifically Henrik, though, because his set is, yes. is really yeah, good really for good. this fight. I just looked it up. The name is Defector Antal. There we go. That's the guy. Yes. Yep. yep. Which, not much lore significance there. Um. So, yeah. So, as I mentioned, uh, the boss of Cathedral Ward is Vicar Amelia. Uh, do any of you, uh, either, either of you have anything to say about kind of the area of Cathedral Ward? We didn't really talk about the general landscape. Um. And I guess it's significant because we revisit that landscape in the DLC. Yeah, I think it's, I like this area in that um, it builds up how powerful and big the healing church is. Um, just because you're kind of continually traveling up uh, steps or ramps or stairs. And the healing church, the main cathedral, uh, is just kind of this mountain that dominates the landscape. Um, and then kind of your next set of areas all branch off from that. Yes. Tom, anything um, about the landscape, the area? Yeah, yeah, no, you guys pretty much cover it. Okay. I think the enemies too are interesting. Like we we talked about it last week with Insight, but we have these kind of patrolling lantern men um, that, that I think are interesting, as well as these massive church giants. Um, do we think the church giants have something to do with the beast plague or do giants exist in this world? What did you guys think? The, yeah, the, the church, the church giants, I think are essentially just like the result of experimentation by the healing church. Um, so obviously they experimented as far as like kin go and, and great ones and stuff. But I think they were also, they also found a way to probably use the old blood to like heighten the ability of some of the church hunters that, you know, were chosen maybe to become, uh, like church giants. Yeah, probably. It's just, um, again, I think it plays into the church and what you expect of them. And, you know, it's you can clearly see that they're making freaks and monsters and, you know, they're not really a a good church. Yeah, yeah. Minor point, but just one of my one something I I didn't notice until like I had played the game a couple of times. But when the when the church giants do that particular attack where they like, you know, wind up and it's kind of like they're like big attack and they smack down with the axe. Um, you can actually see like the the upper half of their leg, like the bone, like like pr- like sticks out and like like falls down their leg. Oh wow! Um, it's a very interesting animation. I think it's like a very minor thing that I never noticed, but I just think it's it's really cool. Um, and then they just get right back up, and then, like it never even happened. Mm-hmm. I didn't notice that. Yeah, nice um, point. Look for it. I, I'm gonna play this game again. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Cathedral Ward, uh, boss Vicar Amelia, uh, and you know another member of the healing church who succumbed to the beastly scourge. Um, and it, I mean, not to minimize the fight, it's another beast person fight, you know, bigger, bigger beast, beast gal. She can heal herself. She can heal I mean, herself. That's, that's, that's different. That's a pain. Um, it's yeah. It's a lot like other beast fights. It's it's kind of like a middle fight for me. It's like a, you know, it's an average fight in terms of my, my fondness for it. I heard, I, yeah, I've heard people have a lot of trouble with this one. I never really I did not necessarily, um, but I no. do know that also if you want to speed run to get to the DLC immediately, um, you need to, you have to beat her. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, from Cathedral Ward, we then go to Forbidden Woods, um, and from the Forbidden Woods, uh, we get to Bergenworth, um, which we, at this point, we've heard a little bit about um, during the game, but have not visited. And as, obviously, we spent a lot of time talking about it before. So the boss of the Forbidden Woods uh, is the, sh- uh, the Shadow of Yarnum. Um, before we talk about that, I, the Forbidden Woods is probably my least favorite area in the game just because of the way it is laid out i think the enemies are interesting i think the general aesthetic is cool i like that you encounter kin here i just think it is too chaotic 
Um, it's kind of starts a little bit more linear and then it gets into a bigger area that is very difficult to navigate. Yeah. Even replaying the game. It's these over. dark twisting woods, like you said, without necessarily one clear path. Um, I appreciate that this area is different uh, than a lot yes. of other Souls areas. Um, but uh, yeah, I agree with you. I don't I don't think it's fun to navigate. I think it's very annoying, especially when you die to try and figure out where you were. Um, what do you think, Tom? Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much everything you guys are saying. Um, I, I don't love the area, but, I, um, you know, replaying it like I, I don't. Uh, it's kind of a mix of like, oh, I got to do Forbidden Woods again to get to Bergenworth. But I I. I I don't mind having to like go through the area the more I play it. And when I say, when I say I, I, it's my least favorite and actually, I'm, I'm actually wrong about that. Nightmare Frontier is my least favorite. Um, yeah. This, and I, I don't, there's really not a single area in the game that I, I loathe because this is just an incredible game. There's just, I don't look forward to the forbidden woods and I definitely don't look forward to the nightmare frontier. I enjoy some of the aesthetic things about them. Um, but yeah. One of you two want to take the lore significance of the boss or just to tell us a little bit about the boss. <laughs> yeah, I, Tom, what do you have? Because it's like, if they just even rename, if they renamed these guys, it would be fine. Yeah. I, I, I 100% agree. So I, I'm going, I'm going to assume that there was probably some lore significance to them that was found by the, by the like Bloodborne community or whatever. As far as I know, really the only thing that's important is the fact that they're called Shadows of Yarnum, which the first time you play the game, you obviously as, uh, associate with the city of Yarnum. But the Yarnum it's actually referring to is Queen Yarnum, of which the city is named after. What the shadows do besides like serving her, if, they, if you can even call it that, I really don't. I really don't know. Um, well, what's confusing too? So to clarify, this boss fight is three black-robed figures called collectively the Shadow of Yarnum. They have one uh, like HP bar between all of them, uh, at least on the screen, but each one does have its own individual HP bar. So as you knock off each one, uh, they will die, um, leaving, you know, two and then one. Um, each one kind of has its own specialty. One is close range sword attacks. The other is far range fire attacks. And one is kind of a hybrid of those two. But what's especially weird and interesting, considering I guess they have a connection of Yarnum, is they also have a connection to snakes. Um, yes. and like all the snake enemies in the area, which also I don't get because nothing in the chalice dungeons or connected with Queen Yarnum has really anything to do with snakes. Yeah, yeah th this is a particularly um, confusing part of the, of the game lore to me because I don't know specifically why like the shadows of Yarnum, the characters are associated with the with the snakes. Um, there, there is so there there are some characters that you run into. And I'm trying to recall the name now, but they're like the, the butcher looking characters that you can actually summon to help you fight the Shadows of Yarnum. Uh, oh, the, the, the Madaris twins. Mm -hmm. so, so there's some lore actually um, to suggest that the, the Madaris twins um, were basically hunters at some point, but they grew up in the Forbidden Woods. Um, and they like, I think it was like a situation where they were like almost raised by the snakes that existed in the Forbidden Woods or something. They had some sort of... Uh, like like familial connection to the snakes well that you, makes you, sense because snakes are you know known to foster humans and be kind <laughs> oh yeah, yeah absolutely. you know um, yeah yeah i won't dwell on this because it really isn't much to say and it's kind of confusing but there's there's an item you can get um called the madaris whistle and when you use it, it it's, it's like a, it's like an arcane item i think or like a blood tinge item um and when you use it you can summon the snakes just like the shadows of yarnum but why the shadows of yarnum have the snake mouths i i, I don't know who knows
Before we get into Bergenworth, let's talk briefly about kind of the the main area you can kind of branch off from from the Forbidden Woods. So the Forbidden Woods will take you um, if you find the right path, it will you'll t- get to this kind of underground like poison lake, like watered cavern, and in that you will find kind of a pile of dead bodies. Well, it's not kind of a, a, it's not kind of a pile of dead yeah, bodies. It's a it's very, it's, it's very much it's a, a pile massive. Of dead I don't know why I yeah. said that. And maybe it's because because pile might actually be uh, an understatement. That's, <laughs> um, yeah, that's true. Like a mound. Yeah, oh, yeah. a mountain of bodies. Uh, if only there were a mound maker. <laughs> yeah. Um, and a ladder. Uh, and you climb the ladder and you find yourself in Yusefka's clinic. Okay. Does so, that, okay, this this says big um, taking the elevator up to uh, the old Iron King's castle energy. Like, how uh, is this possible? I, Not, I, I, I disagree. Um, I, I also disagree with that. It, it, it didn't seem impossible, like it, like the like an Iron Keep. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah. The, um. If, if you just if you just look at how far away you are, even from the the uh, the the lantern at the beginning of Forbidden Woods, you are so far away from Yarn. I agree with I, that. I, I would but... even disagree there. Oh, really? I would argue. I think. I think. Um, you know, Miyazaki and FromSoft are very meticulous. Now, sure, there are cases right like Iron Keep and and Earth and Peak, but but specifically with Bloodborne. Um, I, I get a, I get a similar sense to um, like how a lot of things in Dark Souls one are laid on top of each other. To me, actually, this is more like a um, an undead parish elevator down to uh, Fire Lake Shrine. I think I, I would analogize it to that as well in terms because of how it made me feel. Maybe maybe if you, if you look at the game like the way the, the way the game app is rendered, they are separate. But I don't think I don't think it's unreasonable to have this um, you know this basically this corpse pile just right by Yusefka's clinic, especially considering the lore behind Yusefka and how she essentially gets killed slash replaced by a fake Yusefka. Right. And and this fake Yusefka member is presumably a member of the choir, right? Yes, because think, yeah, she think, can use the auger of Abritus. Correct. Yeah, yeah. I, I and, think it is for certain she's a member of the choir. And considering what happens to her later. Yeah. 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 And so... Is now a good time to talk about that? Because there's 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 a gameplay. This is relevant from a gameplay perspective and definitely from a lore perspective. The yeah. fake, fake Yosefka and Yosefka's clinic. So I, I'll, let me start it off and then I, one of you guys can probably take it into even more interesting territory. So from a gameplay perspective, at this point in the game, you are able to send inhabitants of Yarnum to one of two places. Oh, please help me pronounce this again. The chapel, Odin Chapel. Odin, I mean, yeah, maybe uh, Odin, Eden, or Eden, Eden Chapel, yeah. or Yosefka's Clinic. However, the person at Yosefka's Clinic who tells you to send people to Yosefka's Clinic is not Yosefka. You don't explicitly know that right away, but the voice actor is different than the first time you ever talked to Yosefka. Well, also, is is original Yosefka or the copy, the one that gives you Yosefka's blood vials, and you can keep getting them as long as you run out of them? I believe that's the fake Yosefka. That is yeah, the fake. Okay, okay. Yeah. And so if you send people to Yosefka's clinic, you will find that fake Yosefka experiments on them and turns them into kin, which, again, very consistent with what the choir does. And... You'll just, you know, as you're exploring Sefka's kind of like a dark, abandoned clinic, very cool from a horror kind of perspective, you will run into these kin um, and you're kind of just left to, you know, 
guess who they are when you stop, you know, you don't see any of these NPCs wandering around. Well, if, if you, so they're entirely non-hostile and if you kill them though, don't they each drop an item that kind of connects to what character they were? Yeah. 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 That's right. Um, The other thing too, is you can fight Yosefka here or rather fake Yosefka. Um, It's a pretty tough fight. It is. um, But you should not. Right. Because there are certain gameplay things. There's a a better, yeah. There's a better fate. Yeah. If only she's alive. Like if you kill her now, it's right. And if you don't send anyone to Yosef's clinic and you end up here, you will only find one kin, which I guess is you're supposed to assume that that was the original Yosefka. Or maybe the guy who treated you in the beginning. That's possible. Oh, yeah. that's a good I never thought about point. that. Yeah. So, yeah. And then the, the, kind of at this point, the, the, the important item you get from Yosef's, Yosefka's clinic is the Kanehurst summons, which lets you go to the aforementioned Castle Kanehurst. I don't, we don't need to spend a ton of time on Castle Kanehurst, but Castle Kanehurst is another really cool optional area. It's kind of like a snow castle themed, if I'm being just really basic about it. The boss of which is the is Martyr Ligarius, who we mentioned before, and kind of the, the lore significance there being that Lord Ligarius kind of drove out the vile bloods from Castle Kanehurst um, and, and just kind of well, take and sealed away their queen. Right, and that's why he has the title of Martyr, because he is kind of... Um, it's kind of confusing. He is kind of like, uh, is he alive? Like he he has placed himself as the bulwark, kind yeah. of holding in Annalise. But as to how, like, is he alive? He goes into stasis. Like, is this a spirit? Is this a dream? Like the, the mechanics of how he is still here are not totally explained. Yeah. All right. So let's get back to Bergenworth. Bergenworth is a very small area and this is kind of Bergenworth is like really how you progress the story to the next stage and in very significantly up to and I, I wasn't paying attention to this because I wasn't I didn't have the game back when it was started but all the promotional materials for this game did not show anything post Bergenworth no which is significant because that would kind of lead you to believe that the game was really entirely about exclusively about fending off the beast scourge i don't think they they showed any can or anything like that they did not none yeah, of it no none of it um and when you fi- you find out what happens after Burgenworth, that this game is very different that's where they really unload all of the lovecraftian elements of the game so Burgenworth, again small area it's really just the college of Burgenworth, this kind of big mansion home to master willem um and surrounding the area most notably uh is an enemy that is kind of this disturbingly gruesome fly human hybrid with tons of eyes one of the creepiest enemies of the game from a from a character design and from a sound design i mean Um, i don't i don't know about you guys but in my college experience my weed dealer was a giant human (laughs) with bulbous eyes and he would use his proboscis to suck my essence out yeah these are just these these are just some college boys too. yeah yeah um yeah so the 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 lore significance of this is that these are presumably the failed experiments of master willem his his attempt to gain more insight and fill heads with eyes skulls with eyes more and more eyes (laughs) well but i mean maybe not though i like the idea that maybe willem maybe they're all doing it to themselves because they're all yeah that that's true i I like that they're willing participants right i like the idea that willem because when we meet him he's still fucked up but human 
Um, so he can kind of do this, but I like the idea of students kind of trying on their own and just becoming these grotesque bug monsters. I would still call them victims of Willem's, you know, mania, I guess. Uh, but you know, you're, that's a good way of thinking about it. Um, you know, they are willing or not, uh, they are failed experiments. The boss of it's always right before you fight this boss, you encounter Willem himself and he doesn't have much to say. Uh, and he just kind of points you to the lake. Uh, also, you can kill Willem. Um, you can. And he will drop a rune um, that particularly has to do with like eyes and insight, right? Yeah, it's the, the eye rune. The yeah. eye, well, hey, look yeah, at that. Yeah, yeah, item yeah. discovery. Yes. 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 Before we talk about the boss, anything else significant to mention about Bergenworth? Um, yeah. There is like a hidden upstairs area. Were you going to talk about that, Tom? Yeah, um, there's some connections to a brightest in the choir. So you actually run into a choir member. Um, before you like like inside of the college inside of the building yes um so that's one thing i, I think you can probably chalk it up to the choir is going back to bergenworth just to make sure that you know they didn't leave any stone unturned um for any information that they could use to you know with their experiments with the brightest etc um or, yeah i mean the other thing too is i think they're looking for rom but they don't know where rom is yeah you yes. know what thanks for, I, yeah thanks for mentioning i that think because, that's exactly right yeah and that goes and we'll talk about this in just a bit, but I think that has to go back to the feud sort of between the choir and the school of Mensis because Ram is uh, extremely importantly connected to, to that. Um, but yeah, the only other thing is, uh, as you mentioned, Aaron was the, you get, there's an item uh, towards the top called the uh, auger of a um, And that is a arcane item that is primarily, that is only used, I think by members of the choir. Yeah. Uh, and it's like 65 arcane or something to even use. Yeah. So. The only exception is Mikolash, and you could probably assume that he has it because he was originally at Bergenworth. So maybe it was yes. a thing, or he stole it. He probably he might have stolen it from the choir members that they tortured. Yeah, but um, but yeah, they can't find Rom. Um, and why is that? Where is Rom? Rom is uh, taking a little dip in the lake. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is so just as like from a like from a gameplay standpoint, I thought this was really cool. Um, I love. This gave me uh, uh, like Water Temple, uh, Ocarina of Time sort of vibes. Absolutely. Um, the environment, just, yeah, 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 from an environment standpoint. But yeah, very so, much so. Yeah, Willem points you to the lake. Uh, you do a nice, uh, you know, front tuck dive into it, um, and you basically are transported to like we'll say maybe it's like a dreamy kind of like a like it's really just a bad it's an arena i don't really think there's much else to say about it but you're essentially in the lake well um, or okay other thing or are you in the moon um because possibly a reflection of the moon yeah there is yeah. an item in the game that that mentions something about how large bodies of water are used to hide like great secrets. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So. It's um, I'm trying to think of the exact word, but they I think it's bulwark actually. It's yeah. large yes. bodies of water serve as a bulwark specifically for great ones. Yeah, or or some eldritch knowledge. So water is very right. Interestingly enough, though, Rom is not a great one. Not originally. Uh, yeah. Not original. I'm sorry. Yeah, not originally. Um right. it, it, Rom is an experiment. Yes. Ram is presumably one of the scholars, and also Ram is a lady, right? Yes, yeah. you're yes, you're right. Ram is a lady. Case. Yes, we could probably park on Ram for a bit, but we probably shouldn't in the interest of time. I'll just say from a from a gameplay perspective, I like I like Ram from a lore 
um, perspective very much as a fight. I am not thrilled with it. I'm not thrilled either. I, I guess my question also about Rom is what is it about Rom's death that kind of activates everything? Like why that's Rom? Ex- why yeah, Rom specifically? That's exactly what I was just thinking. And yes. it's the question, it's the one question in the lore that I always find myself coming back to. And I never remember what is suggested through. So my, my theory is that um, you are in some way in the moon. Like you are in some way transported. Maybe the bulwark of water like locks a seal to the moon. Like I think it's no coincidence that you jump into a reflection of the moon. Um, the moon also controls the tides um, and, you know, the moon presence later. I think that's all connected. I think like, yeah, that, yeah. I think that much like the moon presence can kind of keep German as like serving it, that a great one has that power. And so Rom's ascension to a great one status can be used to manipulate the world as we know it and almost like keep the blood moon at bay. I don't under really understand how that would work, but it, there are theories adjacent to that. I'm probably butchering it a little bit. Uh, I just don't, I don't really know exactly where I would officially land on it. Yeah. Again, like I think this story, part of it is humans kind of like poking great ones when they shouldn't. And I wonder if even by creating Rom, it somehow linked Rom to the moon presence or the moon. And by killing it, it kind of, you know, shocks or jump starts like maybe the moon presence or, you know, pisses off the moon. Who knows? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, we probably need to get through the rest of this plot fat or at least get to the DLC at with uh, a little bit of speed. Uh, so just br- yeah, bring us through to the end because it's kind of um, like it's a rocket sled ride to the end here, right? It, it is, and, but I yeah. I do want to. We we're going to need to park on some things. And Tom, I think that you might have some significant things that you want to say. I, I encourage you to say them, uh, even though we kind of need to move somewhat yeah. more yeah, quickly. So the the main area you go next is Yaragul Unseen Village, which is where as we mentioned, Mikolash uh, and the school of Benses kind of were, were they, that's their area. That's like their, their realm of like experimentation. Yeah. Also, um, it looks completely different now. If you've been yes. here before, it is not the same. Right. Well, I, I just, you couldn't have come here before. Well, aside from Hypogean jail. Yeah. 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 Um, and just and notably the kind of, the whole world changes once you beat Rom. The, the the sky is a blood red. The blood moon is out. And there are certain significant character um, changes as well. Um, someone remind me to come back to that. Or someone else, please come back to that. Because that's important. Because the, 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 the reveal of the blood moon causes certain important characters to un- undergo very significant and horrific changes. Yeah. I mean, essentially most of the NPCs, if you brought them to Eden Chapel, will have a very strong reaction to the blood moon one way or another. Yeah. I, I guess let's talk, talk about that yeah, really quick. Yeah. So Adela uh, will give birth to a, a baby great one and die in the street. Uh- Right. It's actually Ariana. Adela Ariana, is the Ariana, the yes. The nun tries to kill someone. She tries to kill Ariana. She tries, she tries to kill Ariana, unless yeah. you kill her. For, that's right. Um, you've got the lady who's just, just collecting, um, what is it, sedatives? And she dies. <laughs> um, and then uh, someone, uh, you fight uh, one of the dudes. He turns into a beast outside the church. Is that right? Yeah, he's like the uh, Mephistopheles of Demon Souls or the yep. Lautrec. He just kills NPCs because uh, yeah. he's a beast. Yeah, but nothing yep. else besides that. Yep. Anyway, so Yargul Unseen Village again. So, really, to me, the most important part of this is that you, throughout 
Yargul, you see um, a bunch of chairs uh, with members of the School of Mensis seated, uh, seated in them, deceased or maybe passed on, quite literally. And they're all kind of notable because they're wearing this, this cage of Mensis, uh, this, this absurdly large helmet that is, I, I believe, presumably the way that Mikolash found out the, the kind of a, a, an item in service of helping you transport your soul or consciousness to another dimension. Yeah, it's supposed to basically be like an antenna. <laughs> I think that's yeah. how they describe it. Um, and you can actually get one and equip it and you look pretty dumb. Yes, yeah. it's yeah. fun though. Um, the boss of uh, Yargul is the One Reborn. I actually don't think I have ever known the lore significance of the run, One Reborn. Yeah, it's just, it's more, it's just kind of like, um, so so like we we spoke a bit about them last time as far as like the, um, like co-op goes, but the, so there are these chime maidens associated with the School of Mensis. Not really sure how the school messes might have something of a hierarchy, kind of like a healing church, but for the most part, they kind of stay to themselves and do their own thing. Um, but what the one reborn is, is it's the one reborn is similar to um, uh, Ram and the kin in the standpoint from the standpoint of it's basically the school of Mensis's attempt to try to create uh, a great one. And what it ends up as is a horribly disfigured, gross, sticky, uh, gooey mess, literally. Um, so they basically try to summon like a great one and, and it's just like this like pile of like arms. Got it. Well, I mean, also kind of, I don't know if it's specific lore, but it's it makes sense to me. The, the idea of this is uh, the school of Mensa seems much more human focused, like through our own human minds, we can uh, be as great as the great ones because their great one is just a bunch of humans kind of sewn together, which I think yeah. is interesting. And then what they ultimately wind up doing is they're kind of on their own using their own human like intellects and souls to kind of transcend to get this stuff done. Um, which is kind of interesting. I, I I never, until I kind of thought about it right now, thought about that. But they're much more like on the human level, I think, than some of the other organizations. Yeah. yeah. I, personally, I think they're just insane. Like truly. Well, they're, yeah. Like they're, like, they're the most more so. Yeah, even more so. Like I, I just think that they're like, let's just try everything and anything. And it, and it ended up as just like this horribly disfigured mess. But, yes. Um, um, yeah. it's, it's an okay boss fight from, from a gameplay perspective. It's actually pretty similar to the Tower Knight and Demon yeah. Souls. And yeah, I, I, so the most uh, interesting is after you beat that boss, you in, get to a room that is looks kind of like a, a like a lecture hall, almost kind of like I think of like a Roman. Um, I don't know what to call it, like amphitheater. Yeah, yeah like an amphitheater. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's a bunch of dead Mensa students seated, kind of surrounding one in the center, presumably who is Mikolash. Um, well, and what I, it's so creepy because it's so orderly and like you run through Yard Rule, which at this point is this horrific, like twisted giant mess. And then you come into this scene, which is so orderly and just genuinely like a group of grad students. It's like a, a group, su- a like professor. a suicide cult kind of. Or yeah, vibe. or like almost a suicide pact. Um, yeah. It's very, it's very frightening, especially again, from how chaotic uh, everything else is at this point. Yeah. Um, and from there, I'm going to go a little bit out of order from the outline just because I think it's relevant to just talk about it now. Let's So from there, you can get to the Nightmare of Mensis, um, which is kind of the next major story beat. And after we talk about that, I'll talk about the other optional areas. Yeah. What do you guys want to talk about Nightmare of Mensis? Yeah, I can take this one. Um, just as a quick note, you actually enter the lecture hall first before right. you enter the Nightmare of Mensis. Um, really, it's I think it's significant because um, because Mikolash is a member of Bergenworth or was a member of Bergenworth. 
I think the lecture hall is supposed to resemble a lecture hall that existed at Bergenworth. Um, and that's in like all the goo students that you see there, like the gooey, um, you know, the goodens, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the describe students. the goodens because the goodens are very one of my fun. favorite characters. Of the yeah. Game. They're literally just like, I'm trying to think of, a, you know, um, like, like in the well in Ocarina of Time, like the, like the, the Oh guys, yeah. I, it yeah. kind of, it kind of reminds me of those guys, but with like college robes on, like they've yeah, got, much... they've got, yeah like much um, sillier like the cartoon college yes. versions of yeah them. yeah exactly yeah they're kind of goofy but basically the idea is that those are all like the the, the consciousnesses of the collective consciousness of all the students of of mensis and we'll say probably also bergenworth too to maybe um was sort of like uploaded into this um this dream realm um that is the lecture hall so the lecture hall is basically kind of like just like um, you know, the Hunter's Nightmare or other areas, it's like a physical location that exists in Yarnum or somewhere like near Yarnum that is now also sort of preserved in like a dream realm as well, um, where all of them reside. I well, and I think that's interesting too that the students got stuck in the lecture hall, and it was only Mikolash that made it to the nightmare. Yeah, I, we could probably chalk that up to he it knows more because he's more of a significant character, or however you wanna yeah, however yeah. you wanna paint that, but. Um, yeah, so after Lecture Hall, you get to Nightmare of Mensis. Um, it's it's one of the the dream realms like Nightmare Frontier or uh, technically Hunter's Dream or areas like that. Um, and ultimately, your goal is to get to the top of like this tower. So there's sort of like two um, like castle like structures or like Victorian sort of castle like structures that are like floating, um, and you traverse between both of them. Um, yeah, and uh, I don't know if you want to go into like uh, some of the enemies. You, you run into some uh, some beasts. Um, you run into some giant dudes that throw boulders at you. You throw into you some... run in. You run into like weird hybrid animals because again, this yeah. is a nightmare. Yeah. So like yeah. half and silver beasts. Yeah, crow dogs and things like yeah, that. yeah, crows with dog heads and dogs with crow heads. Yeah. Again, very very much like a literal representation of the insanity of the school of yes. Mensis. Yeah, and a night like it's it is truly a nightmare. It really is. Um, yeah. not to mention, uh, let's talk about the brain of Mensis really quick. That's a pretty significant uh, thing you encounter. Yeah. So uh, I, 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 again, I always forget some of the more significant lore points about the Brain of Mensis, but the important thing is that it's a kin, um, yes. which suggests that it was created. It's not actually a great one. It's, it's essentially an experiment um, that Mensis attempted to create uh, a great one and failed, but it, it induces frenzy, which is extremely frustrating. <laughs> um, that's, and that's, that's like what the light is that you see. Um, from the from one of the towers in the nightmare is is basically the brain of Mensis glowing really really brightly well yeah. and okay so again i just connected these two things and maybe it means nothing but so the one reborn is just a bunch of bodies right all mm -hmm. sewn together essentially and the brain of Mensis maybe is so you know they tried to make the one reborn a great one in the physical world did Mikolash try and make the brain of Mensis, you know, in the dream world? And I think it's interesting that in the dream world, it's a brain. And in the physical world, it's just a pile of bodies. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that distinction. Um, it's like literally a brain. Uh, yeah. I think a giant yeah. brain with like eyes and and some like weird tentacle looking things coming off of it too. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I almost wonder if it's like, it's supposed to be sort of like the collective, uh, like, mentality like literally like the collective like like consciousness like the brain of uh of mensis maybe that's sort of put together into this yeah uh, well 
also, I wonder if so. I wonder if their original plan, or maybe the plan they came up with, was to unite like this brain of Mensis with this one reborn, like the bodies, to create like a true great one. Um, however, maybe what happened is because we know that Miklash, his body is dead, as are all the students. Maybe like they're trapped and they can't now, and that's part of his insanity. Um, you know, as we get to, but I wonder if that was their plan to unite this this brain of Mensis with this actual physical body that's waiting in the real world. But of course, you've destroyed and Mikolash has no way back. Right. Yeah. Yep. Then you so fight like, Mikolash. Yeah. Yeah. So you, so you keep, so you keep going and, and sort of like, like halfway up or maybe a little bit further up the tower, you, you encounter Mikolash. Um, and needless to say, he is brutally insane. Um, he's got that, the wonderful cage on his head, which is keeping, you know, keeping them all wrapped up and, and sane. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm interested to see, uh, to know what you, how you guys feel about this boss fight. So I have heard that uh, the name Mikolash with a cage on his head is a reference to Nicolas Cage. Um, I, that This is true. That is true. I've heard that it is a reference by uh, Miyazaki, but who knows? Um, that's all I have to tell about Mikolash. Um, I love his voice, voice acting, but love James, it. why don't you tell us about the fight? I So the fight is interesting. You are kind of chasing him around the castle. And I know that that sounds silly. And I like thinking of it that way. I mean, there's a little bit, it's cooler than that, uh, but it, 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 there's a little bit of a silliness to it. It's almost there like a, Sco- it's a Scooby-Doo yeah, chase. Yeah, he's like the kooky villain you have to like track down. Yeah, I, I love this fight, uh, even though I've died a, a, a number of frustrating times to this just because I end up getting caught by Augur Vibritis. Um, and But yeah, you're essentially trying to like chase him around and trap him in a room where he can't run away from you anymore, and then you just beat his ass. Um, notably in the dialogue and the opening cutscene for this fight, you get the first reference, uh, or the only reference in the main game to cause the only direct reference, yes. um, to cause, and we'll get into cause in a little bit more detail or sometimes uh, Cosm or sometimes Cosm. Um, so you beat me Galosh and it really essentially then you just make your way to the top of the castle where you encounter, um, a kind of projection of queen Yarnum. And who notably has uh, a bloody wound, uh, almost like a C-section like wound, or maybe quite literally a C-section type wound, um, where, and that is due to her having given birth to a great one, Murgo. And then you fight Murgo's wet nurse. And kind of throughout this entire Nightmare of Menses, as you get closer to the top, you hear a baby crying out in, in, in the distance, and that is Murgo. Um, as you approach Murgo, you meet Mur- Murgo's wet nurse. So... Let's talk very briefly about kind of the lore significance of Murgo and Murgo's wet nurse. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, you can take this, Aaron. I so uh, you can probably take it. I just have one question. Um, so Murgo's wet nurse is this like crow monster with blade blades everywhere. Um, is is Murgo's wet nurse a great one? And here's why: because wet nurse specifically, a wet nurse um, breastfeeds the baby um a wet nurse specifically that is that is the function of a wet yeah. nurse that they will both take care of the baby and breastfeed the baby um instead of the mother so how is murgo able to nurture or i'm sorry how is murgo's wet nurse able to nurture murgo what kind of being must murgo's wet nurse be i assume a great one or great one adjacent what do you guys think yeah uh, so i'm glad you mentioned that because that's a perfect segue into a discussion about murgo's wet nurse so it would, I would be remiss to not mention some of the other significant female characters in the game, in addition to Queen Yarnum, because there is a theory that they're all in the same boat, and there's one great one in spe- uh, specifically that is tied to all of these uh, pregnant, impregnated women, essentially. Yeah. Right. So, so um, 
in in the story of Bloodborne, we we uh, so we talked about Yusefka, right? Well, we didn't um, we, talked, we didn't talk about the close of, of fake Yusefka, which we you should probably talk about. Now. Yeah, and and yeah, and that's exactly where I'm going with this. So so Yusefka or the fake Yusefka, um, Ariana, who we mentioned, is is in Uden Chapel. Interestingly. Um, and then we also run into Queen Yarnum as well. Um, and each each of the three cases from these from these um, women in the game, all of them end up becoming impregnated. And the cause of their of their uh, impregnation is unclear, um, and seemingly just kind of like comes out of nowhere. Um, the 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 most, I think I would argue I would argue the most accepted theory is that all of these women are impregnated specifically by the Great One. Uh, um, who in the game is is um, uh, illustrated as this formless uh, great one. You can't see him. You can't like. You can't hear it. You can't smell it. It's just like it doesn't have a form. And so it's in in my mind. I think it makes the most sense that this great one has obviously existed for a long time. So you know, um, sort of like literally like like uh, like penetrated almost um, each of these women in some like in some kind of a way. Uh, in in where they were able to uh, to bear like the children of a great one. This is also a good time, I think, to talk about the umbilical cords that we mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, you get each one of them specifically in coordination with a great one, right? We'll get to one of them that's associated with the moon presence. Um, but this one in particular is associated with Queen Yarnum, and I would argue is also associated with um, with Udden, as actually as as is the one from Ariana and Yusefka as well. So um, they all and, are essentially. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and what's what's significant is that the umbilical cord item description says that um, basically it's like it's like destined that great ones will attempt to, to commune with a human to have a child and it always fails. Um, it's like it's like it happens time and time again, and we see that with um, uh, in each of these cases, right? We see so like Mergo, uh, and I think that's like why Queen Yarnum has sort of like the bloody C section almost is that it's it's it maybe is supposed to be representative of sort of like a like a stillbirth or a failed a failed birth. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see well, Ariana does give birth to a great one, but then when you kill Ariana, the great one also dies. Um, and then Yusefka, I don't think ever ends up giving birth, but she just gives you the umbilical cord. So oh, she um, doesn't give it to you. She's not like, here you go. Here, yeah, yeah I have this. I found yeah, it on the ground. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think that's really, you know, as far as lore, that's, you know, it's significant. Um, but that's yeah. that's really all it's said about Murgo's wet nurse. Only other point is that um this is the first instance in the game where you do not get the message prey slaughtered when you, right. when you kill a boss. Right. You get the message nightmare slain. Um, which which is... obviously implies significance to uh, great ones. Well, also that is said one other time. Correct. Yeah. In, in the main yeah. game. Yep. Yes. So I, I think let me talk about the other optional areas. And I think we should talk about the DLC before we talk about the main game finale. Yeah. So we mentioned uh, Upper, Upper Cathedral Ward is kind of where the choir conducted their, like, you know, experiments. Um, and so and then the orphanage, too. And so, for, you know, from there, you fight the Celestial Emissary, who is a kin. And you fight a Brightus. Uh, you find a Brightus, daughter of the cosmos, tucked kind of underneath uh, Cathedral Ward. Literally um, right under the chapel where you fought Vicar Amelia. Literally. Which is very weird. And James, you mentioned to me that I've never paid attention to, uh, like, is there rumbling? Can you hear a Bredis? Like, I think it's very strange that the choir and Vicar Amelia and all these people are literally in the same building. Like, do they know about each other? Um, yeah, I don't, yeah. I, I don't know about any of those things. Tom, what's your theory on that? 
Yeah, I think there's I think there's significance in that they're all sort of located. I think what is significant is that you you like if you can if, like imagine I like to imagine like a regular Yarnamite enters a grand cathedral. The first thing they would see is Vicaramalia, um, whether it's a human or a beast. But the idea is that like that's sort of like the first appearance and it functions almost as like a facade of the healing church. Whereas if you get like literally behind the curtain, almost mm. you, you see a brightest. Like, or, I like, like you, you, yeah. you come, it depends you on how much insight you have. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not, maybe true. not literally yeah, in the game, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, that's about all I would say as far as like proximity goes. The other, uh, and, that, and that's uh, the celestial emissary boss fight is, eh, well, you know, whatever. Uh, the brightest boss fight is pretty, pretty fun. I would say it's a little, it's an above average fight. I would say. Yeah, um, I will say her design is like a plus 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 plus. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, she yeah, she looks hor she looks horrifying. Um, you she tell, looks, she's the ugly duckling. You can tell why they oh, left yeah. her behind. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like I think Cthulhu looks a little bit silly in how he's depicted now. Like he's supposed to be more dragon like, but um, not at all like Cthulhu. Like uh, horrifying. Like almost like a fungal growth. Yeah. Um, she has like this weird split um, like mask almost over her face, and there's just eyes and these like tubular tentacles. Not even what I think makes them creepy is that they're not closed. They're not like tentacles or these right. open like tubules. It's she is really scary. Yeah. So from or I guess another the last optional area is really the, the first floor of the lecture building at where you notably beat Patches the Spider uh, and then Nightmare Frontier, where you also meet Patches the Spider uh, and who does classic Patches things to you. The kind of the Nightmare Frontier we mentioned is why I mentioned is like probably my least favorite part of the game, um, I guess, aesthetically and the experience. Um, the boss is, is, is a fun one though. Um, it's in, uh, amygdala, uh, and this is kind of another area you go to, to get another, uh, chalice piece, right? Yeah. And if you're not doing chalices, you can just entirely skip this area. It, it is, it sucks. It's a marsh. You're getting poisoned. There are just these giants throwing boulders at you. There's a bunch of hunter fights. Um, it's yeah, it's not, it's not very fun. Yeah. Tom, anything on uh, nightmare frontier? Yeah. I, I don't really like the area very much. But yeah, as far as lore goes, I don't really think there's much to be said besides the amygdala or the amygdala. So yeah. All right, let's get into the DLC because uh, this is juicy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, really, I mean, again, like we said, one of the best DLCs ever, and I, we're not we're not gonna be able to spend a ton of time on it, but we need to spend a certain amount. Um, it's gonna be a long episode. Uh, but so, this, we need to give this DLC its due. How about this? There's three of us. There's three sections. Who wants to do what? Oh, that's, uh, that's, uh, I mean, let me do Hunter's Nightmare. Cause I think that uh, you guys know more than I do. I mean, I can, ch I can chime in every once in a while on the, on the other ones. Um, 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 I'll but, do the research all on the astral clock tower, Tom, if you feel like you can talk about the fishing Hamlet. Yeah. Yeah. I'll take fishing Hamlet. And, and please jump in because so the, oh, yeah, the yeah. Hunter's Nightmare is it, it resembles the, I mean, this is, you're kind of going into the past is what you're really doing. You're seeing, some of the past atrocities committed on the world, like Yarnum and the surrounding areas by the hunters and kind of through that by like the healing church. Yeah. Uh, and Bergenworth. Um, so hunters nightmare, you kind of, it's, it very much resembles cathedral ward and you are kind of witnessing hunters hunting. And like, it is just the, the they're literally, there's like literally like a river of blood. Um, it is a brutal, scene is sharp contrast to kind of how you saw cathedral ward before and and i guess notably from just kind of an experience like a gameplay perspective 
it is like Cathedral Ward. It's laid out in a similar way. It is does not feel like rehashing the same area again. It's very different and a very fun experience, if not a very frustrating experience at times. There are really two main bosses that you fight in the Hunter's Night- Nightmare. Um, the first, kind of most notable which, uh, of which is Ludwig, who we did mention before. He is another hunter who was, I guess, corrupted uh, and deformed. And that is one of the coolest boss fights of this whole damn game. I mean, really, I, I would say the three best fought boss fights of Bloodborne are in the DLC. He uh, he just loves horsing around. <laughs> uh, you couldn't come up with the moonlight greatsword uh, pun. Uh, he's I like I like his horse form. It's, I think it's, hor- it's too hard. Yeah, yeah. Um, great, fantastic boss fight. The other one you fight, and it's not one you were technically meant to fight right after, is Lawrence. Uh, you get to see Lawrence in his uh, cleric beastie form. Well, he's also entirely optional. He is. Lawrence is probably the fight that took me the longest of the entire game uh, to beat. I was, uh, it was, it was a pain in the ass for me. I kind of, I really hated it. Um, I I like it from a lore perspective. I do not like the fight. Yeah. Never beaten him. Also, when you were originally texting me a long, long time ago about Lawrence, I had him completely confused with either Ludwig or another boss fight. And I was like, <laughs> oh, he was easy. What are you talking about? Um, and then I realized it was Lawrence. And I was like, oh, yeah, never beaten him. He's 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 awful. Grant, granted, I, it took me a long time. I wasn't using serrated because he is weak to serrated. Uh, I didn't use like the Whirly Gig Saw or anything like that. I should have and I could have. Uh, I just didn't. Um, so that's why it took me a long time, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, so Aaron, you've never, you've never beaten Lawrence. I've never beaten Lawrence. No, I fought I, Lawrence. Um, you're gonna play with us. We're gonna beat him. Well, I, I would also, I would also recommend beating Lawrence because you get one of the two special rooms in the game that allows you to turn into a beast. Yeah, um, and I, also unlock a move set for the Beast Claw, which is really fun. Yeah, I have heard that. I have heard that. I uh, that holds no interest to me. <laughs> you, you and your brother are very much of the completionist <laughs> mindset, where I'm very much of the like, eh, I saw enough mindset. Um, but speaking of seeing too much, uh, shall we jump into the research all? Yeah. Unless either one of you want to have any comments on the Ludwig fight. Um, no, I just, I think, um, it's aesthetically very cool. You're fighting in this kind Mm of, uh, water filled room with just, if we're talking mounds of corpses, this is mounds on mounds on mounds of corpses. Yeah. Yeah. The area is literally called the underground corpse pile. Yeah, well, hey, yeah. <laughs> so actually, yeah. in this case, it is a pile. Yeah, it is a pile. Um, Maybe Yosefka was for fake. Yosefka was trying to break or the the world record for corpse piles. Yeah, the Guinness Yarnum Book of Records. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so that takes us to the research hall. Um, and so, as you mentioned, James, uh, this is kind of a three part story essentially. Um, so part one is the hunter's nightmare where it's, again, it's this nightmarish version of, um, cathedral ward. Now we get into kind of more specifically the research hall, which is where hunters such as Maria and presumably German were doing research, um, and research specifically seemingly into the great ones and combining or fusing, uh, people with great ones or people communing or listening to great ones somehow. So the research hall itself is kind of this uh, multi-level cylindrical space. Um, You enter uh, in kind of this big open area. 
Um, you're able to take stairs and elevators up and down. However, uh, you can. Uh, there's no clearly logical stairway system. Um, this you kind of have to jump across stairs and do things to access every room. Um, there are also these patients here. The patients are kind of these quivering, uh, jelly-like masses that still speak to you in normal human voices, which is really, really terrifying. Um, you also hear as you're speaking to them and reading lore notes, you're hearing about Lady Maria, um, that Lady Maria was perhaps kind to these people, that Lady Maria perhaps uh, helped these patients. Um, it's, it's kind of not clear, but we know that Lady Maria was involved in one way or another. Um, when you finally ascend uh, to the top of the research hall, um, again, you have to kind of play, um, play around with the stairs and how you get there. Um, you enter a uh, kind of a giant garden outside where you fight the living failures. Um, before I talk about the living failures, anything else about the research hall? I know I did it kind of quick and dirty, but well, I think I was going to task Tom with when he talks about fishing Hamlet to also circle back and then yeah, explain right. what more context of what the research hall was used for and what yes. Lady Maria did. Um, and yeah. why she's remorseful and, and things like that. I Yeah, I think you're right. I think all of this is kind of told in backward sequence. Yes. Um, you see the horrors of the research hall and you hear people talking about the ocean. They hear the ocean or water um, and kind of not until the fishing hamlet do you fully get the context for what that means. Yes. Um, but the research hall does kind of build in all these mysteries or questions that will be answered in the fishing hamlet. I will say that I think this DLC does an excellent job of um, kind of answering all the questions that it brings up within the DLC. Um, it doesn't bring in too many kind of open-ended things. Would you say that's probably true? Yeah. 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 I would definitely agree. Yeah. So we get to the living failures, um, which are more celestial emissary type uh, type creatures. Um, Noticeably are, more deformed though. Very yes. clearly failed experiments. From yes. Maria. More deformed, but also seemingly more powerful because yes. they're able to call, like summon these um, like... Uh, Almost comets, comets yeah, <laughs> yeah, crashing into part of the tower. So they're almost able to like commune or open portals with the cosmos, um, but they are still, for whatever reason, regarded as failures. Yeah. Uh, so after you defeat them, you enter the astral clock tower. In terms of names, is just get out of here. The astral clock tower. Um, it's great. Um, it's not an explorable area, though, really. Uh, it exists as a boss room for Lady Maria. Um, so you do have these two back-to-back -back bosses, the Living Failures and Maria. Um, you find Maria in this incredibly sad, cool state. She uh, seemingly has committed suicide. She has run herself through on her own blades. And also noticeably because this is the hunter's nightmare, or this 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 is a dream-like equivalent world exactly. so this isn't this isn't exactly lady maria no so and it's not her because as you approach her um she comes back to life um she comes back to life though clearly she has she has committed suicide in some form in this dream but either because of your presence or for whatever reason she comes back to life and uh and you fight her um this is in my mind the best fight in the game um probably one of the best fights in the entire soul series absolutely um maria has three phases um she attacks with a uh, dual bladed weapon um and she augments her strikes with um kind of these blood arcs that follow the arc of her sword um and as the phases progress her move set doesn't necessarily change all that much but her range and the abilities of her attacks augmented by these further blood streaks um, changes the fight yeah um, I, I can't decide between this and cost like in terms of like the combination of lore environment 
the way the boss attacks, like the the way the boss looks, the, the animation, just the general like pull, the way the fight plays out and fight, like the attack patterns, like they're almost e- e- equally perfect. I, I I I honestly wrestle with which one I love more. They are yeah, they are perfect. I think the difference is Maria is a perfect hunter fight. Yes, and Koss is a perfect right. like you know not beast but just like bigger creature fight. I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Tom, anything to add about Maria? Yeah, a few things. Um, so I'm not trying to remember. Oh, uh, okay. One thing is, um, I think it's, I'm going to talk about this in the fishing handbook, but it's, it's important to note that when you first stumble upon her corpse, um, she grabs you and she says a line, uh, something along the lines of a corpse is, uh, should be well left alone. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. which I'm just going to leave it there because I'm going to talk about that in fishing handbook, but I think that's significant. Um, Very. I, I don't think it's referring to her corpse. Um, it is the not. second, the second thing to mention is I would actually disagree with uh, the statement you made, Aaron, about uh, this is not the, the, the actual Lady Maria. Um, and I'll get into that a little bit. I, I think I, well. I said that, Tom. I, oh, 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 sorry. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I, do I, think, I do think it is Lady Maria. I, yeah, I probably even spoke. I think this is the true, you know, obviously it's her consciousness. It's not. Oh, her, you're right. It's, so it's, it's, it's kind of what Mikolash did. Like yeah, that was Mikolash. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, my, my bad. Yeah. That's, I guess that's what I meant to say. It was kind of and like her. And pro- I meant this. And that's, yeah, that's what I meant too. Like it's not her physical body. Like her physical body is probably dead and gone. Um, this is, yeah, her mind is trapped in this nightmare. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then the only other thing I was going to mention was the weapon she uses, the Rakuyo, uh, is very reminiscent of um, uh, some of the weapons that are used um, in Kanehurst. And actually, like the, the way that she sort of like imbues blood on her blades is very similar to the trick stance of the Shikage. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of uh, sort of ties to Kanehurst in the, in the fight as well. Not so much the fire aspect. That's, that's just really cool. Well, she is um, from Kanehurst, right? Correct. Yeah. 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 And um, so after you beat Maria, um, again, this is a dream. Things are very surreal. So the uh, clock face of the astral clock tower opens um, into, again, impossibly uh, this dream space of um, like a foggy, misty fishing hamlet. So tell us about that, Tom. Yeah. So the first thing I note right off the bat is if you look off to the side of the path that you walk down to, to start, let's say, sort of get into the area, you'll actually notice the cathedral ward below you and the, and the tips of all the towers, which oh. suggests that the that the dream is actually layered literally vertically on top of each other. And that um, also that all dream and nightmare realms are connected in some way, because from the nightmare frontier, I meant to mention, you can see the tops of the ship masts from... Yes fishing hamlet yes that's correct and you can actually see nightmare of mensis from the frontier as well yeah, so exactly um the idea is that all the the realms are sort of connected um but that's yeah that's definitely more of a side point so yeah so you get into the fishing hamlet um which is well it's supposed to be this sort of quaint you know fishing town um a hamlet even uh, yeah one might one might even <laughs> say a hamlet um and yeah, so so I'll try to go through this um, while noting all the the things I find are significant. So so the first thing you find once you enter into the town is this actually reasonably sane young fellow um, who is not human, more of like a fish person, um, and and these are the kind of um, people that you find in the fishing hamlet. And um, uh, maybe I'll get into it a little bit later, but they're technically kin. Um, they're not. Yeah, so they they're sort of, sort of transfigured humans. Um, and actually, right when you get to the first lamp of the fishing hamlet, if you look directly up, um, you'll see the symbol of the game, right? Um, it's it's uh, uh, a hunter, a beheaded hunter that's hanging upside down, making sort of like the rune shape that we see 
that resembles the hunters, which I think is significant. And is um, almost a direct one for one lift of the mark that the main character in Berserk wears, just to throw in a <laughs> yeah, reference. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's, yeah, that's neat. Anyway, so um, yeah, so you, you start making your way through the fishing hamlet and you're basically seeing like the aftermath of, of um, this, this, what used to probably be a, a prosperous, you know, quaint, nice little town that is now just devastated um, and, you know, just inhabited by all the people that live there, but now they're, they're fish kin type people. Uh, let's see, you get into sort of like a main square area. There is a well that is not, I would not suggest going down there unless you want to die. Um, um, also, sorry to interrupt, Tom, but uh, yeah, tellingly, also the village is completely flooded. Like, this is not a functional village. Like, it's correct. totally flooded. Everything is grown over with, like, barnacles and, the you know, these things. This village is not uh, taken care of. Absolutely, yeah. It's awesome looking. Okay. Yeah, it <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah. It's incredible. So awesome. Yeah, it's great. Um, so I'll gloss over the well in a bit, but if you drop down there, you can fight two of the giant shark, shark fish guys that are very frustrating. Um, but you get, you actually get Maria's weapon, the Rakuyo, um, which is significant that, that it's in the well, but I'll, I'll get to that when I sort of get to the end and unravel the mysteries of the DLC. Um, so you, you progress through the area, um, you get to the lighthouse, which is the, the next lantern, uh, actually the last lantern of this area. Um, and there's an NPC we forgot to mention that you, that you sort of meet throughout the whole area. And that is Simon the Herod. Um, he's affiliated with the healing church. Um, but for the sake of the DLC, he basically is kind of like your, your mysterious guide. That's sort of, um, you know, like, oh, I, you like secrets. Well, if you like secrets, keep going. Cause there's a lot, there's a lot to uncover here. Um, but you find him here and he's, um, you know, he's, he's been, um, attacked by an assassin. Who's another NPC that I'll probably gloss over cause it doesn't really have a lot of lore implications. But yeah, you, you, you get to sort of like, um, I don't know the term, but it's basically a sort of like, like where the, the, the folk of the town would like do their work with respect to fishing or like, um, like whaling almost like it's sort of like, they're like, like the area where they'd probably like butcher the fish and, and sort of like, um, like do like that sort of, uh, work. It's like their port district. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Thank you. That's, that's, yeah, that's what I was getting at. So yeah, so you, so you walk around through there, um, you meet some guys that can like use lightning attacks on you, uh, more fish people, a lot of, a lot of fish people. Um, and then eventually you, you get down to the coast of, um, of the fishing hamlet and uh, you stumble upon the orphan of Kos. Well, but, but, so before that, we should talk a little bit about the snail people. Should we talk about the snail people? Uh, are you referring to kind of how they like one of them They're falls all, like, from the sky in the Hunter's Nightmare? And well, things like I'm that? just I'm just trying to say like when before you get to Kos, isn't it all those like uh, supplicating like snail people are bowing? Before? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh yeah, that, yeah, that yes, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. So there's yeah, there's all these um, yeah, presumably more people the fishing hamlet that were that were turned into kin. Um, yeah, that are all um, like like venerating almost the the, the entrance to the boss arena. Yeah. Um, yeah. Perfect segue. And as you enter into that boss arena, you, you, you kind of get the idea why um, there is a corpse laid out on the coast, which is the great one costs um, as we, as we come to find. And in what might be one of the most disturbing cutscenes to introduce a boss hmm. um, in this game, you see, you see this like um, humanoid actually, but, but clearly akin sort of like, crawl out of the the shell of the corpse of of Kos, um and look up into the sky and 
yeah, that's that's when the fight begins. Um, I'll actually let you guys speak to the boss. Um, I don't really have much to say besides I love the boss fight. It's extremely difficult for me. Um, one of the best in the game, though, uh, by far. Maybe some of the, one of the best in the, in the Soul series. Yep, I would agree with all of that. Uh, I mean, I won't say too much about the mechanics of the fight. It's a, it's a, it's you know, this and the Maria fight are extremely frantic. I would say in terms of like you know being able to parry the bosses. Maria is definitely easier to parry than Orphan of Cost, but Orphan of Cost can be parried, which I think is really neat that they let that final, final difficult boss be parried. Yeah. Uh, reward you for mastering parrying throughout the game. But yeah, it, it's extremely frantic. Cost uh, is very relentless. Um, finding times to heal, uh, it's very difficult, especially in this fight. My What I'll just note, it was my, my gameplay experience the first time playing this. I was playing it, I think it was like one in the morning. I just didn't want to stop playing the DLC. I just I was like, I need to beat this. And it was getting late. And I, and I really like, should, I should have gone to bed and I, I didn't. And I, and I fought costs. I think I, I did it on my fourth try and it was just dodging, dodging, like trying to find the right window to heal. And there were times where I wouldn't heal. I wasn't getting too greedy. Like I would just hope I would be able to dodge in hopes of finding another window to heal where I had more time. Um, and I, and I'm eventually like, I go from sitting to kind of like squatting like my butt's not on my seat and i'm just kind of like hunched like in front of the tv playing and i'm just shaking all over i'm just I'm like and and i i'm dodging i'm dodging and i find when i finally landed that final blow i was like overcome i'm like you can't see me right now but i'm, I'm like i was i shook i let the controller fall out of my hands so i was like oh, oh like i have never been like i cannot tell you the last time i was so physically affected by a, a, a boss fight i really can't it, it was like it overtook me with like joy and like i, I lost control uh i i'm surprised it didn't soil myself <laughs> wait i i sorry i missed that what were you like when you won I, I didn't <gasps> oh okay yeah there you go uh i, I had left. similar feelings when i beat him so you know i get it yeah um, what I appreciate most about this fight, especially with Maria being the last one, um, I think it's very interesting that Maria, even though she's a very intense fight, um, she seems very detached and calm while you're fighting. The Orphan of Kos, uh is full of rage, yes. um, both in his sound effects, he makes these screams, these grunts, and just the way he attacks, just the brutal like hammering again and again. Um, and I think it speaks to both their characters, especially Lady Maria, that at this point when you fight her and Tom, you can kind of tie the mystery together when mm -hmm. we're done talking about Orphan of Cost. But it makes sense that she'd just be like very defeated and very detached. And that's how you would fight her. And it makes sense that the Orphan of Cost would be full of rage um, and, and angry and brutal. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, Tom, let, let's wrap up the, the mystery, the story of, of the DLC, and then uh, we're going to get into our usual segments. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I wanted to leave the, the lore for last because I think cost is um, sort of definitely the, I think the crux of what the hunter's nightmare is. Um, so when you actually when you enter the hunter's nightmare, you you hear I think it's I think it's Maria. Um, you hear Maria say the line curse the fiends, their children, too, and their children forever true. And that's the whole idea behind the hunter's nightmare. So um, basically what what transpires in the fishing hamlet is the the citizens of the hamlet um you know come upon the the corpse of Koss and through that um communing they are turned into kin um but they actually as as we know 
into the entrance of the orphan cost boss arena is that they venerate costs um you know it, so they like worship they worship her or, or it well okay um, so that's i'm a little unclear do they worship costs or the orphan of costs and i, I guess I, which which one which one changed them i think it's costs it's it's cost. all the yes. above yeah oh, okay. orphan of costs actually really more so functions just as like as a as a is a boss fight and as a way to as a way to end the nightmare because when you when you defeat mm. the orphan of cost you get the text nightmare slain yes. that's really the, the main function of the orphan of cost but the great one cost from which the orphan of cost comes from is the great one that that um that turned the fishing hamlet into you know the kin that they are now um and so the reason that maria as a you know the maria is hiding the fishing hamlet is because um maria german um we'll say the healing church maybe or maybe just bergenworth um, oh no, it would be the Healing Church because the research hall. They come upon the fishing hamlet and they see, you know, these people have come in contact with presumably a great one. They turn into kin, and immediately their minds are filled with, we we have to figure out how they did this. We have to experiment on them. And they essentially brutally, you know, torture and slaughter the people of the fishing hamlet um, for, for the use of ex experimentation, as we see in the research hall, um, and, and trying to get that that understanding of the great ones. Um, it's so brutal that. Maria is filled with remorse and actually tosses her weapon into the well because she can't stomach um, what what is happening there, which is why you find it down there. Um, she 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 gets rid of it. Now, obviously, you fight her with it, so that's kind of a gamey, gamey wamey. I don't really know how to explain that, but the idea. Well, is I mean, also it's a dream, so and too, like I I think it's very fitting that you know, as I'm sure you know, you were about to say, like she that's why in the dream she has like impaled herself on them. Yeah, yeah no. exactly. She's yeah, she's so um yeah, just so remorseful. Um, and that's what she means by the line that you know a corpse should be well left alone. Um, you know, that that if if costs had not been had, had not been meddled with or if great I think I think it's more of a blanket statement that if the, the more we try to the more that we try to understand great ones and the more we try to mess with great ones, um, it's just gonna be uh, it's just gonna bring our downfall even swifter. Um, well, and it's it's the idea of um, you're stepping outside the bounds of nature, right? Corpses are meant exactly. to be destroyed, meant to be buried. You are not meant to play with corpses. That is like a perversion of life. Um, right. And that's kind of exactly what happens. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, and so because of what transpired in the fishing hamlet and uh, in the interaction with the hunters, the um, I think the suggestion is that the, the the citizens of the fishing hamlet essentially, you know, ask of cost to to curse the hunters and the line and all hunters that come after. And so what essentially happens is that precipitates the hunter's nightmare, um, where all of those hunters that existed at the time of the, you know, the of the healing church that were, um, you know, fucking with the, the people, of the fishing hamlet get trapped in this nightmare. And that's who we see at the beginning of the hunter's nightmare. That's who we, um, you know, yep. it's, it's, those are all the hunters that, that get trapped essentially. Um, and they're cursed for forever and forever. Um, and by, and by slaying the orphan of cost, you essentially um, slay the nightmare and, and, and free them of this, you know, eternal torture. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it, I think. But what's, what's interesting is that German must not have been one of them because German, uh, you know, as we're about to talk about is in the clutches of another great one. Yes. Yeah. And this brings us right back to the, uh, to the end of the main game. Yeah. Um, one of you guys feel free to take it. So, yeah, so we finish out everything uh, after we slay Murgo's wet nurse. There's really not much else to do plot wise, especially if you've beaten the DLC. We return to the hunter's dream where the workshop is now on fire. Uh, which I think is very cool. Um, you can tell that things are gearing up for an end. Um, I believe that Dahl tells you to talk to German. Um, is that right? 
Yep. Yeah, Dahl says that uh, German's waiting under the great yes. tree or something like that. Yes. So we didn't mention, but um, in the dream version of the, the Hunter's Workshop, there is a gate that you have not been able to go through throughout the entire game. That gate is now open, um, and it leads to a field with a large tree uh, that German is under. You talk to German, um, and he gives you a choice. Um, he kind of says, good job. Um, and he uh, says he can kill you in the dream, uh, merciless or <laughs> mercilessly, mercifully. mercifully. Um, well, I mean, you you can get the merciless version if you want. True. Um, he can mercifully kill you where you will wake up in uh, in Yarnum during the day, and that's kind of one uh, one ending, right? Um, you can choose to fight him. That's the other one, right? Um, yep. And you fight German, you kill German, and then um, that is one ending. And then well, what in happens the, in, that- it, in that ending? The moon presence will appear, and you'll kind of bond with it, or you'll uh, right. be fused with yes. it in some way. Yes. Yeah. However, the true ending um, is if you collect all those umbilical cords we were talking about. So from uh, from Adela, um, from the fake Ayasefka, mm-hmm. from Yarnum, um, you ingest those umbilical cords, which is disgusting. Um, and then you have the fight with German, uh, as you do. But then you also have a fight with the moon presence. Um, so you fight the moon presence. Um, and then after that, if you beat the moon presence, um, the ending you get, uh, as I said, is perhaps the true ending. You become um, a uh, a great one, like a, baby. a baby great one. And, oh, and, and then and then too, I'm sorry. The one where you uh, you become like the new German, yes, right? Is that I was yes, just going to say yes, that? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, Se- the second ending, you essentially become um, the new. And so yeah, so the idea yeah. being that now the Moon Presence has snared you, and that you will be the German um, to kind of advise future hunters that get trapped in this dream. Correct. Yeah. Um, the well maybe do you guys want to talk about the the boss fight first yeah german i think german is the more fun of the fights because it's a it's a hunter fight yep. i love uh, fight. german's trick fight uh the burial blade right yeah uh which is this big scythe um and then he also does a, a, a fair amount of firearms uh kind of play with you as well yep um i i love this fight i think it's it's a great hunter fight um i am not so hot on the moon presence fight to the point where like i don't even really remember it very well i, I remember the german fight every time that I yeah did this, I, I agree the moon agree. presence fight isn't quite as great yep I, I everything you just said i completely agree with moon presence is also this is not meant to be like a brag it gets over so fast i just like, it kill, is. i kill moon yeah. presence so quickly it's not even yeah german's the main brunt of uh of the challenge here i would say yeah yep yeah um so yeah those are the endings i kind of rushed through them but that's kind of no. it basically you yeah. you can wake up and perhaps real yarn him with the nightmare over you can become the new german or you can become this weird tiny slug proto great one that i guess yeah. the doll's gonna take care of yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> like i don't know um yeah tom any lingering thoughts before we wrap up yeah i i, well, I figured i would just tie up from a lore perspective so yeah, each, each of the endings is sort of representative of, um, yeah, I guess like a different, different way you can take the game, right? So the first, the first ending where you, you're, you're mercifully executed by German basically is, is like the same, the same way that most likely that Dura and Eileen both left the dream, which is that you're, you're, you're severed, your ties are severed from the dream. Um, and you're basically, I kind of think of it as like taking the blue pill in the matrix where you kind of wake up and you're ignorant to every, anything that really happened with the great ones. And you just kind of, you're fine now. But the the I think the significant one is actually the the one where you uh, fight German and you lose or uh, you kill him, but you are succumbed by the moon presence. So that's really 
what the whole plot of the main game is, is that the moon presence is a great one. Um, but specifically, it's a great one that enjoys killing other great ones. So the, the whole reason you're going on this journey is because yes. uh, the moon presence through Garmin is is leading you towards Rom and then leading you towards uh, Mensis and then leading you towards ultimately Murgo's wet nurse, wet nurse, which we'll assume is, is Udden or a great one um, so that you can kill them because it, it wants you to. And then you go back and, and your task is done. You've killed a great one and um, the moon presence has no more use for you. Which is why German offers to, uh, you know, to to allow you to wake up from the dream. Another thing, another I think another thing to to note is that um, there are times where you can find German inside of the dream, uh, the hunter's dream, and he's like visible. He's he's very upset. He's like he's basically going crazy, and he wants to leave the dream because this is he he's done with this. Um, the suggestion is that just like the school of Mensis communed with most likely Un, and the choir communes with the brightest. At some point after the, the schism of Bergenworth, Garman also came with the Great One, and that Great One was the Moon Presence. Um, for what reason? I don't know. Um, I don't think it's ever really suggested in the game. Well, but... I mean, Tom, I think this connects to what we were talking about earlier, where I was saying, like, ah, I think a lot of it is humans were, like, poking Great Ones. I think, though, the Moon Presence, I think you're right, because of the Moon Presence agency and mission, I think the Moon Presence might be one of the Great Ones that, like, actively jumps in with humans and yes. human affairs and they actively like maybe German didn't commune with him at all. Maybe he found German and kind of just like jumped in and trapped him. Yeah. Or, or led German to find right presence through exactly. the umbilical cord or through whatever the case was. Um, yeah. The only other significant thing I think to mention is that um, much like we see the other um, women in the game sort of get impregnated by the great ones. German acts as sort of like a surrogate child for the moon presence, um, which I think is sort of an interesting dynamic. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much all that I think I, is really needs to be said about German. Well, I think it's also funny that if you kill German, you know, every great one loses their child. Yeah, so, right. Yeah. There you yeah. go. Yes. Yeah. That, yeah. That, that, yeah. That's what ties it up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was Bloodborne. Yeah, that was Bloodborne. <laughs> Thanks for sticking with us. Um, yeah. All right, so we're going to go through our normal segments now. Uh, Tom, feel free to kind of jump in. Um, you know, if you, you know, I know I, we didn't expect you to have anything prepared for these, but, you know, if you want to make a comment here and there, feel free to to share them. Um, yeah, sounds good. So casting the movie version of this, I would say I would just generally prefer this to be an animated movie, actually. Um, just because I just don't believe in modern technology to to really, like, get a good live action version of this um, without overuse of CGI. I would want this like as much practical effects as possible. I mean, what if the, what if the plot was they're just fighting Ed in all movie and he's <laughs> so you, a... you don't even have to good CGI Lord. anything. In. So uh, my casting, so I casted the main character, Gascoigne, uh, Willem, Mikolaj, German, and Maria for the, for the main protagonist. I have Robert Pattinson. <laughs> okay all right yeah real like recency bias i guess but yeah. also i love I, mean, I love robert Pattinson. he would bring the in, he would bring the intensity that's he, he sure, certainly would yeah. uh who do you have uh i have ray park uh who is the guy sure. who played darth maul yeah um maybe just because like in this movie i'm imagining you're not going to give the hunter a lot of dialogue true ray park and act like i've seen him in things yeah i would just have him for like just the crazy awesome stunts i like it i like it Gascoigne, I have Willem Dafoe. Okay, Dafoe's Dafoe made the list, which of course he did. 
Um, but Father Gascoigne, I, I know it doesn't look exactly like him, but I had Luke Besson. Okay. Um, or Besson. I don't know how you pronounce his last name. Is, but is, I, isn't he a director, though? No, he's an actor. He was who, in. Who um, am I thinking of? Oh, wait. No, who were you? Where were you about oh, to say? Oh no, I. He is a director. Who am I thinking of? Jean Renault. Are you thinking Jean of like, Renault? Yes, Jean Renault. Yeah, the guy who plays the per- Leon. Yeah, the Leon the professional. Yeah. Yes, Jean yeah. Renault. Yeah. Okay. I, okay. Sorry. I like yeah, that. Sorry, Jean Renault. Um, young Jean Renault, like the professional Jean Renault. Um, yeah, yeah. As Father Gascoigne, I thought would be cool. Okay. Uh, Willem, I have Alfred Molina. Uh, okay. Willem, <laughs> I actually had, uh, Donald Sutherland, even though Willem's a great big fat person who's bald. Uh-huh. Um, I thought Donald Sutherland would be, would leave, give a lot of gravitas. I think that works. I think yeah. that works well. Um, okay. I swear to you, I did this without knowing or remembering the 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 actual like history behind Mikolash, I guess Nicholas Cage. Yeah, well, I mean, come on, so did I, of course. He's evil. I yeah. mean, he's he's batshit. I mean, yeah. you gotta yeah. right. I don't think uh, there's anybody else that can really. Fit no, you can't. <laughs> you can't. Okay, um, I, actually, I, although I think the one I the person I cast is German, I think could actually do Mikolash. Okay, go ahead, Malcolm McDowell. I, I like that a lot. This is where I had Willem Dafoe. So I, I put Malcolm Mandel or Dafoe and it, it might, I had like a note that just said you kind of could swap them for Gascoigne and German. I just thought Willem Dafoe yeah. and Malcolm Mandel both could play those roles. Yeah. Um, for the doll slash Maria, I was, I was pretty pleased with this pick. Anya Taylor-Joy, don't you think she'd be incredible? I, I do think so. I, I, so I went a slightly different direction. I didn't... I guess like I I pick I tried to picture an actress that looked like Anya Taylor Joy, but I didn't actually think of her in the moment. I was thinking of like a and even like a, a slightly older actress like Michelle Yeoh or Maggie mm. Q. Um, okay. I just I, I just think that because they both have like you know um, stunt chore like fighting choreography like experience already. I can think that's kind of where I started because I also wrote down Sophia Butella, um, who is like has like a as a dancer and has some fight choreography experience as well um but yeah who else did you cast uh i cast lawrence and alfred who did you cast as those so lawrence i did kit harrington um because you just need like a generally good looking guy to be lawrence i right? would i would i would swap him for richard madden only because i think richard madden is a good actor and kit harrington is a terrible actor <laughs> I mean, that's fair. Um, I was, yeah, uh, I was doing it more. Not that this movie needs, like, I think Kit Harrington is good, really good at that kind of like heightened fantasy type acting, which I guess is what you would. And really to need Lawrence, this. like Lawrence, if you were to do the movie, would literally show up in flashbacks and be very brief. So I think True. I think Kit Harrington can pull that off. Yeah. Um, and then Alfred, just because he goes fucking crazy later, <laughs> um, I think it would be really fun to see a beefed up, dyed blonde David Tennant, because <laughs> David Tennant can do some real crazy eyes, and I feel like he would be great as Alfred. So I would say Cillian Murphy for that. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, he would also be really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh <laughs> I'm gonna really judge you guys depending on how you answer this. Would you want to live in this world? No. <laughs> Tom. I just have to hear uh, you say it. Uh yeah. You yeah. would? Yeah, I think I would. <laughs> I no. mean, I, I think I would maybe just with the knowledge that like great ones are in the mix and that you could like wind up in a dream dimension. Like, yeah, I mean, you know, I I've been on Earth for 33 years and I haven't entered a dream dimension. So, yeah, you know, 
Um, all right, Kingdom Hearts Corner. Kind of need to fly through the rest of these uh, in the interest of time. Um, so I, I'll, I can do mine really, really fast. So I, I my level, I think, I guess would, I would just call it Central Yarnum. But I, I actually envisioned it more as like a hybrid of like Central Yarnum Research Hall and Fishing Hamlet. Um, and like the story would play out where like, you know, you got Sora and, and, and company and Hunter Garb and they're helping rid the city of, you know, heartless possessed beasts. Um, and then it's revealed that Organization 13 is kind of actually brought this more like Great One type influence to Yarnum. Uh, and then you end up having to fight uh, against a, a Great One kind of that's more like a heartless form. Um, and maybe, you know, another mini fight against like Gurum, German or something like that. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mine plot wise was the same. Um, how about your keyhole and keyblade? So my keyblade, uh, the blade part is obviously a saw. It's obviously serrated. Uh, you got uh, like a dark metal handle, like iron or like wood handle, like that's wrapped in cloth. Um, and then the keychain is an umbilical cord. Oh, okay, yeah. So I wanted to kind of blend like all the elements of the game. So my keyblade is called Eye of the Hunter. Um, the eye is the key, and eye is the keychain. Um, the tentacles, like the from beyond or the shaft. And then on one end of the like end of the keyblade is like a scythe, like the burial blade, and the circular red moon is kind of the rounded end. Okay, I like your name more than mine. My mine was an adventurous. I just said the old old blood blade. Yeah, and <laughs> then it. the the keyhole is in the moon or German's heart or who the fuck cares. I put the workshop. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, hey, yeah. look at that. The answer to that, we should probably just get the rid key, of that. Yeah, that the keyhole it, never like, who matters. The, who the fuck who cares? cares? Yeah. Um. All right. Uh. So fan fiction corner. I. I, I told you before we started recording, I, I was a little overwhelmed with the amount of fan fiction that I saw. And I think it was more overwhelmed with how much fan fiction I saw that took it very seriously. They all take it very seriously. I, I really couldn't find any like goofy ones. Not that I don't appreciate the non goofy ones. I just think that these are so. So I'll just mention just at a high level, because I think some of these were just hard to parse. Um there is a Sonic the Hedgehog crossover. Uh, it is extremely serious. Uh, it's it's got a lot of a heavy. Uh, what's her name? Rouge the Bat. Presence. Did we? Oh, we definitely found the same one then. Uh, I, I've let you talk about that then, because uh, I, I just I didn't really look through it in great detail. I found a Persona Four crossover, which actually kind of works, um, but again, very serious and kind of long, uh, and I didn't want to read all through it. Yeah, I mean, those are that's kind of the most notable things I found. Um, what about you? Yeah, okay, I found a couple, um, a couple crossovers. Uh, I did find one that I thought was like very interesting and weird. Um, so it's a like it's the plot of Bloodborne, but like told from the perspective of a bunch of diary entries. Okay, um, and so it's from like after each kind of area or segment of the game, kind of a little diary entry of what it was like. Did you find this? No, I didn't. I thought this is very interesting because it vacillates between the very horrific real things of Bloodborne and then just kind of the mundane mechanics of a diary. <laughs> um, so here we go. Uh, I'll read this entry. Hunter's Dream, post Kanehurst. I realized I didn't mention it before, but I found a discarded dress of a nobleman in Kanehurst. Don't know who it belonged to, although it was similar in design to that of Ariana. Speaking of, it has been a while since I visited the chapel. I want to see how the people there are doing and say hi. Funny little tangent, back to the dream, I showed the dress to the doll. I had planned to teach her the concept of beauty, but her questions threw me off. Now I'm sitting here writing in this journal as I think. If beauty is a completely subjective concept, then what can be considered truly beautiful? Is beauty even real? 
Um, and that's how it goes. It's just kind of like like a real diary, I guess, where they wax poetic about life, but also are very involved in the plot of Bloodborne. <laughs> it's very strange. Yeah. Um, so that was one. Uh, I found two crossovers. I will save the Sonic one for last. Uh, let's see. There's this one. Um, all right. <clears throat> I've had enough of this dream. German whimpered, a tear slipping past his squeezed shut eyes. The night blocks all sight. Oh, somebody, please. A bitter, broken sob punctuated the last word, and Dipper flinched as more sobs wrecked German's slump form. Dipper said nothing else, <laughs> instead squeezing German's hand like Grunkle Stan used to do for Dipper whenever he had a nightmare. Um, and so this is a this is a Gravity Falls Bloodborne crossover that's basically just about Dipper like soothing German <laughs> in his dreams. Um, and it's really baffling. <laughs> um, so there's that. Yeah. Um, and then finally, I had the Mobius Hunt, uh, which is yeah. a yeah, that's the one you found. Yep. Um, so there's an OC named Kagan uh, in this one. And Kagan finds himself a hunter, right? So for a while, no one spoke. After all, Kagan himself had told them that to become a hunter would mean the end of any hope of a normal life. They would become immortal, cursed beings, forever bound to fight. From the little Kagan had been told of his time fighting in Yarnum, the others gathered would be akin to be trapped in a living hell. Sonic stepped forward. I'll protect Mobius and my friends. I'm in. Shadow smirked. If the faker is willing to go with it, then so am I. Knuckles nodded. I know it's going to be the hardest thing I've ever done, and I'll do whatever it takes. Kagan stepped forward, pulling from a pocket what looked to be a silver bell with a ring as a handle. The bell was covered in intricate scroll work and seemed to glow with a mysterious power. Raising it high above his head, Kagan rang the bell. The air around rippled, and shining motes of light danced around the room. Rouge felt felt a vitality surging through her as the bell emitted a chime of unearthly beauty. <laughs> um, and that goes on. Um, so that's a thing. Again, we have Sonic in the mix. Uh, fan fiction, I would say warranted for this game just because of how many mysteries uh, yeah, are left open. But certainly, certainly not fan fiction or gravity, or certainly not uh, Gravity Falls or... Uh, or uh, Sonic fan fiction, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say I was disappointed with the fan fiction. Like, I think it definitely deserves fan fiction, but I, I didn't, I didn't obsess too much over it because this lore is so deep that, like, I think at a certain point, I needed something ridiculously silly to make me happy. Like, you know, like more. There's so much that can live in this world. There's so much right. to interpretation. Well, and I, I think, I think Tom is right in that a lot of these lore suppositions, they, it's not. You know, it's not random in the way that, say, Dark Souls 3 is, where it just right. throws so much of shit at you. It's There is coherence. There, there are things very closely tied together. And I think you can make a pretty coherent, um, you know, beginning to end lore summary for the most part. However, at the same time, because it's so full of dreams and like, you know, it's kind of unknown. Um, there's just so much in this world that you could potentially write about. Like, I think it's yeah. very fertile for fan fiction almost to the point where you can kind of have anything happen because of the dreamy weeminess. Right. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that, those are the segments. Well, that's, that's uh, it. Yeah. Uh, why don't we start with Tom? What have yeah. you been up to lately, Tom? What have you been um, watching? What have you been playing? Yeah. What have you been doing? I've been gaming and movies and TV shows I've been watching. Um, let's see. I've been catching up on anime. 
Um, recently watched the entertainment arc of Demon Slayer, caught up on My Hero. Um, still watching One Piece, um, even after, I think it's on 1012 now is like the latest episode. <laughs> um, uh, oh, I also, I so I had gotten it on PS, uh, like on PlayStation Plus, but I just started playing Shadow of Colossus for the first time. I had never played Whoa. it in the original PS2. Yeah, so um had been enjoying that a lot it's been really great um super atmospheric i love the just like the emptiness of it yeah. um so God, yeah you were you were in for a treat yeah yeah, yeah. it yeah. really is great uh james um, what are yeah. you up to uh well tom and i saw batman together uh we <laughs> oh, yeah, we, we won't get into that uh the oh, batman we were the I, batman. I, I absolutely adored it uh i love it very much i'm extremely high on it right now i will be seeing it in about 30 minutes uh <laughs> So yeah, I'm I'm so excited for that. Um, I've been playing Elden Ring again. Not going to talk about that, uh, but I'll just say that I like it very much. Uh, I, oh, I I love it. I, I I don't know exactly. It's way too early for me to to say. I've I think I've probably spent less time with it than than you have. Um, uh, the way you describe that sounded like a human. Um, when you paused and you're like, I don't like it. I love it. Um, <laughs> it sounded like you were talking about Miranda at a really pivotal moment in your relationship. Um, well, it feels similar. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And other than that, I've been, you know, watching some One Piece. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I uh, basically all the exact same things. Uh, playing Elden Ring. I saw the Batman um, and I've been continuing to read One Piece. Uh, the Batman I thought was a pile of shit um for a bunch of reasons i thought it was a thematic mess uh, as we've talked about but i won't go oh, into that now i'm clutching my heart yeah yeah i thought it was a real mess just like the joker uh the joker was a complete mess and i don't know why people like it um well, I but mean, anyway, joker, joker is a bad movie yeah 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 um but yeah that's what that's what i've been up to so nice well tom thank you so much uh for doing this again this was a real pleasure uh your your knowledge was ex- extremely valuable to us yeah, thanks again for having me and for part one as well. Um, I love talking about Bloodborne more. <laughs> yeah, Tom, would you say that Bloodborne has taught you to not fondle corpses you find? Is Yeah, that's yeah. definitely one of the many things that I've taken away from the game for sure. Yeah. I haven't learned that lesson, but someday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, th- thank you very much, Tom. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, thank yeah. you to everyone who's listening. Um, and obviously, as always, watch The Grinch. Yeah. Bye-bye. <laughs>